Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Welcome back to the Radical Up podcast. So I'm here with Brian Nelson. Uh, he's a match director for Red October, if you shot that AK match. And uh, then he's also on the Terran Tactical Pro team member, uh, which is really cool. He shot two gun nationals. We finally got to meet him this year. So Brian, thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited because I'm going to learn as much about you as probably a lot of people are going to. So it's uh, <laughs> interesting. So I want to know, like, how long have you actually been in this this world of competitive shooting? So in all of it, the first actual competitive shooting match I participated in was in like about, it was November of 2007. So yeah, I guess it's been about 14 years in total. Um, wow. I was 10 years old, so been doing it for 14 years and 24 years old now. Um, beard. That's, that was the first time I started doing it. The beard though. You're like, look like you're 10 years older than that. <laughs> Oh, well, if, if I cut it off, I look like I'm 10 again. Legitimately, there's no difference. I didn't, mean to interrupt. I didn't know your age. There we go. Let's start there. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, that's that's uh, where it started. And actually, the first thing I shot um, was an IDPA match in Las Vegas. I live in uh, southern Utah, so it's uh, about a two-hour drive to Las Vegas. I saw it on a shooting TV show because I've been into guns and shooting my whole life, but I saw it on, uh, it was either Shooting USA or Shooting Gallery, one of the outdoor channel, like, cable TV shows, because it, you know, it was 2007, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, social media gun content, because I, I, you know, I, I don't even think my dad has social media, um, but saw that and, you know, grabbed my dad and said, hey, this looks cool, let's do this, and so a couple of weeks later, we were in Las Vegas with this sharing a Glock 34 uh, and a fishing vest shooting IDPA. Y'all shared that. That's really cool. He shared a gun in the vest, made it happen. Yeah. Wow. So does he still shoot with you from time to time? So actually, yeah, uh, very, very rarely. He just shot the fir- for the first time in a few years uh, at a USPSA match last weekend. So you get him on pistol uh, or PCC? Uh, PCC. Partly, partly because that's a little bit, well, he relies on what I have um, set up to, to use. It was like, well, I could get you a belt set up all this, or I can hand you a PCC and a Mac pouch. Um, but also because for work, um, we both work at the same company. He, he owns the company. I worked there um, for scoring technologies, which is um, practice score. We provide that um, to the competitive shooting world. And uh, that's, that's actually the company logo there. I'm, I'm not a medic or an EMT, but people <laughs> think that's what that patch means. Um, but uh, we work together. And part of what we do is a lot of uh, working with the United States Marine Corps, and some of that involves training and being around their training. Um, my dad also owned a firearms training company that I worked at called Tactical Performance Center for a long time. Um, and that's still in operation, sold that uh, two years ago. And I still help with that part-time actually. But um, anyway, he's done firearms training, but he hadn't really done much at all with rifles. And that's the only thing that we're using uh, for this Marine Corps program. So like, hey, you're going to be around these Marines and shooting rifles more. You should probably shoot a rifle just a little bit more. So gave him a PCC, shot a USPSA match um, for the first time in probably four years. Um, and uh, 
So yeah, uh, but we shoot together and then uh, like we work together too. So we'll be going to North Carolina here um, actually coming up next week um, for, for that same program. We'll be on campus June. That is so cool. I didn't know all that, man, having family, like all these juniors or just kids growing up with their family coming to the shooting sports. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. I want that. It's Yeah. So it's good. It, it was, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, it was, uh, it was actually part of, uh, I was homeschooled from pretty shortly after we started shooting together. And, uh, so that, that would be a big part of the homeschooling curriculum stuff for me was plan was actually, I would be responsible for planning out travel and routes for driving to a match and, you know, I, I, you know, that's how I learned how to do travel. I, you know, call a hotel and make sure that, uh, you know, we, we drive, for example, uh, like we drive to rock castle, we drive from Utah to Kentucky and it'd be my job to plan out the route and find places to stay on the way. Um, and he trusted you at what age? <laughs> uh, that would have been, you know, 13 or 14. Um, maybe a little bit earlier when we started doing that, but yeah. Um, but, you know, it was trust to verify, but, you know, generally I did a pretty good job. <laughs> did you have to do like the budget or anything like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, how to do that. So uh, that's how I learned spreadsheeting was uh, spreadsheeting out like this is what an AR build costs and stuff like that. <laughs> this is so cool. This is the best parenting I've ever heard, like in existence. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't have a lot of examples to compare it to, uh, but it, it, I think it worked pretty well for me. Oh yeah. No, that's awesome. So when, um, when you're growing up and stuff and even now, like what all shooting sports, like I want the full gamut of what you've competed in now. So early on started in IDPA, um, which is actually surprisingly common. I think for people to start in it's then and now a very beginner friendly shooting sport in addition to very well marketed for beginners. Cause everyone that's, that's what my dad was interested in it too. He had concealed carry permit and didn't really carry cause he didn't trust himself to cause he didn't really know much about shooting. Um, we did that for a few years, but when we got serious about competitive shooting was when we're shooting an IDPA match in Las Vegas. And then we're like, you know, Hey, it's really great that you guys come down to shoot with us, but doesn't St. George have a USPSA match going on this weekend? And we kind of went, huh? Don't know what that is. And didn't know there was a club in St. George because especially then it was a lot smaller. Um, both the city of St. George and our area, it's grown a lot since then. Um, and shooting club is a lot smaller. So the, the only way that you, I think you could find out about a match was to be on the email list or stumble into it. Okay. Um, when I was this before practice score and before Facebook really was a thing. And um, yeah. so, but we uh, like, yeah, here's, you know, they gave us the email for the uh, club president at the time, Jim Mead, I think it was my dad had that email. So I can't remember, but um the president of the club and uh, said, yeah, we'd love to have you guys come out and shoot a match. And, uh, and then my dad was also kind of had health problems starting from about that time up to, you know, kind of enduring. Um, so he, he sometimes it's uh, you'd have to miss out on, you know, Oh, I'm just not feeling good today. We can't go. So the first weekend we were supposed to go, we had and still have our matches on the first and third weekends of every month. That was the first weekend. Um, we said, okay, well, we'll just go on the third weekend of the month. The third weekend of the month, no one told us. There's no way to know. It was actually the club's annual three-gun match. And we showed up with pistols. And, uh, and th this, by the way, this would have been 2008. Um, this was a USPSA three-gun match. So people don't, might not know or remember. Back then, three-gun, if you said three-gun versus multi-gun, 
three gun was a rifle stage and a pistol stage and a shotgun stage all combined together to make the tournament. So it was actually, I, that format was really easy for beginners because we showed up and, you know, I think my, my dad had a Glock 34. I had like a Springfield XD. Um, and like, well, we don't have a rifle or a shotgun. Like, well, that's really easy. And they handed, uh, we shot Jim Mead's guns. Oh. And it was an Olympic, Olympic Arms AR-15 A2, like fixed carry handle with a gooseneck mounted, I think it was a Seymour. Um, and, and, and that like some people now go to a lot of work to clone that gun as like a Black Hawk down, like, you know, clone carbine. That was just what the gun was then. Uh, and a Remington 1100. Oh, um, okay. And an 1100 with the DMW easy loader. So uh, if you don't know how an 1100 works, there's basically the shell lifter is also the bolt release. There's a little button at the back of it. So the DMW easy loader was a big extended thing. So anytime you, you push the bottom of the shell uh, lifter up, the bolt would close. <laughs> um, and it was a, I think it was an 1100, like I forget how the Remington grades work. It was like, it was a higher grade, like a Wingmaster or something. And the 870 Wingmaster is like the nicer one. So this one had, you know, a walnut stock, 26 inch barrel, 10 round mag tube on it. And, uh, um, and like it, it had a like scroll work engraving on the uh, on the ejection port, like a you know with doves and stuff flying. Um, <laughs> Can't pick the only thing we yeah we're I mean we're putting AR mags in our pockets um, and using you know oh yeah it's and it was also two thousand seven or two thousand eight before the election so it was also I mean even now if you showed up randomly to a match and said oh I don't have ammo someone would loan you ammo but it, you know back then the same thing happened. Um, like, yeah, shoot some 223, uh, shoot some 12 gauge birdshot. The only thing we didn't have was shell caddies, you know. Um, back then, dual loading and quad loading wasn't a thing. And honestly, you do that four up thingy, I have to yeah. ask. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, I, I I don't know if uh, there's a video uh, function of the podcast. Otherwise, I would have brought a shotgun and, and I, I still could load that, that way. Um, oh, no, we do video, but I feel like you can send uh, me that later to post because that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, that's another, we'll talk about, we can talk about different things about three gun, uh, later that, uh, that I, I kind of missed that. Cause it was a little bit more, you know, it required less work on the guns than it did than quad loading and dual loading does. Right. Um, but yeah, well, nobody even had those shell caddies there and that's not because they weren't invented. I don't think it's just, we had a club had an annual three gun match. It's like, I don't think people put that much, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. Annual three gun match. Like, we were loading out of bandoliers and belt loops and like, and we, anyway, my dad and I were not the only people loading out of pockets. I believe it. Yeah. So anyway, that was our first uh, USPSA match was a USPSA three gun match. And then we started shooting at the club there, kind of became more active, shot USPSA for the longest time. And then uh, three gun was always fun, but it was never really something that we could do. The local club to us had an annual three gun match. So it's not like you can really, you know, do a whole lot there. Um, shooting rifles at the time was also a little bit weird at our club. We had 50 yard bays, but um, the club for, for legitimate reasons was very controlling of who shot rifles on that range Yeah, uh, because we were aimed at a giant ridge. Um, but on the other side of that ridge is a subdivision. Um, yeah. And it's, it's not really that we were, you know, putting, you know, we weren't launching five, five, six rounds into people's Cheerios and stuff, but, um, it was, 
they, they wanted to avoid the issue because we're also the range for our club is on a big shared county facility that's that had been and still is pretty good about letting us do what we want there. But the image of, you know, oh, oh yeah, you're shooting AR-15s and, you know, so actually as you were shooting um, certain targets and certain things, you, they, they literally had um, these big corrugated pipe, like conduit things that you had to shoot through with the AR. And it wasn't for every target. I don't think it was just like for anything that was on like the back base. It was actually aiming that way. You had to shoot it through a pipe. Like you can't, you can't aim over the burn because of this pipe. Um, this may have also been the reason why I don't think anybody really had compensators on their guns. Oh yeah. Cause yeah, stick a five, five, six with a comp and a, you know, that would have been like a, I don't know, a three foot drain pipe or two, two and a half foot drain pipe. Like that's, it's no. not fun. No. Um, so anyway, yeah, USPSA and then did the pistol version of it. Um, always thought the three gun was fun, but it was, you know, just easier to focus on shooting only a pistol. Yeah. And if you want to shoot three gun, our club had an annual match. Um, wasn't really great for practicing at that time. And we could shoot three gun in Las Vegas. There was a great club there that was run by a guy named Charlie Brown, who's still around shooting three gun. Um, yeah. And that was taken over by Pete Rensing, who started uh, UML and USSL. Nice. And then um, the thing was also back then, three gun, especially with paper scoring and um, trying to remember, I think they even used hit factor scoring for three guns. So like every target is alpha, Charlie, Charlie, Delta, you know? Oh um, yeah, I think I could be wrong about that. This was a while ago. Um, we'd le legitimately show up there at like 7am and we would leave at 6pm because we had to get home. We weren't done. Yep. Oh yeah. No, I've shoot three gun locally and it's, yeah, it's an all day affair. Like the USBSA yeah. IDPJ is done at two o'clock. No, we're there to like seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so when we started shooting three gun, um, uh, as kind of the next thing or phase of things that we did, because, um, we started practice score and, um, it started off as a tool for my dad who volunteered to be the stats guy for our club. Um, <laughs> thinking that my mother who's an accountant would help him with it. And, and he brought home a stack of paper score sheets. Um, and it's, you know, stack of paper score sheets for stage one. And it just says, this is John. Nothing else. No, no, no. Yeah, like, oh, well, okay. Well, you know, hell man, it's like a 30 person match and you know, there's, there's three Johns here wow. and you know, so which one is which, well, we have to like process them. Okay. Well, you know, Oh, John Smith has a score sheet and you know, John Clark has a score sheet. So this must be, you know, John Johnson or whatever. You know? <laughs> the first time she looked at that, she's like, mm, nah, I'm not going to help you with that. Um, Awesome. Good for her. But uh, so practice score was developed to kind of solve that on a club level. And when we started making it like at first, it had to have a basic function to synchronize multiple phones or tablets together. Um, and then it, it, we used it here just for local matches for a certain period of time. And eventually it grew to the point where we pushed it out to other clubs. Uh, and then it grew up to other sports like three gun. And USPSA clubs generally used it and were able to figure it out. And it wasn't really approved for higher level matches. But in the three-gun world, as you know, um, there's not really much sanctioned governing body. So if a match director thinks that something's a good idea, they can just do it, yeah. which is both a good thing and a bad thing, right? Um, yep. <laughs> three-gun. <laughs> I love it. And yeah, it's just loose. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, it is exactly what the match director wants. Some match directors for three gun will be more, you know, more to the nth degree about everything than, you know, USPSA or IPSC. And some of them are like, 
yeah, you know, we use a stopwatch. It's close enough, you know, um, at, at both the local and not really the major level, but, you know, um, anyway, what happened was major three gun matches kind of like saw a practice score, saw that it had time plus, and they wanted someone to help run the scoring. So my dad and I would just go and work stats at the match and, and uh, set up and we, you know, yeah, you give us a four wheeler or a golf cart or we'll bring a four wheeler and zip tie a router to it and drive around and sync tablets up and here are your results. Uh, so I started shooting three gun as kind of a, you know, and I just always wanted to go to shooting and, oh, we're doing three gun. Okay, cool. Well, you know, figure out how to load a shotgun and uh, make a shotgun work. Um, make, you know, you know, zero rifle and stuff like that. And so that's uh, kind of how I started shooting three gun. That became the primary focus. But as a part of shooting three gun, if you really want to do it well, you have to shoot a pistol very well. Um, and especially there was more, that was when um, the idea that uh, you could have optional pistol and shotgun targets came around. Also kind of three gun nation sort of started that USPSA would do that at the multi-gun nationals every year for some targets, but like they'd have a stage where that was optional. Um, and then three gun nation started doing that. I think that's kind of became the norm. Certain matches would have a stage where it was very heavily pistol oriented, like, Rocky Mountain three gun has uh, always got some single gun stages in there. And one of them is a 60 round pistol stage up through a Canyon. I don't know if you shot Rocky Mountain before, but I uh, haven't yet. I saw videos of like Dave Horn shooting it and Josh shooting it. I'm like, good Lord, where's that target 50 yards away? Probably with a pistol. Oh yeah. No, legitimately you're going through a Canyon and it's like, you know, the briefing at the beginning would be Denise Johnson, the match director. Oh, we found another Canyon for you to shoot in. And so we just put a bunch of pistol targets up in there and there's like, you know, 10 inch targets at a hundred yards. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter that, you know, people think about three gun scoring, you know, that match I think has always been time plus. Oh yeah. Just put two rounds on the cardboard and, uh, and hit the steel. Well, yeah, but you got to hit the steel and the steel is a 10 inch target a hundred yards away. Like, you need to have a good trigger pull. You need to be good at all these things. So, uh, as a part of that and to be able to compete locally always I was always shooting USPSA um and then sort of while we were doing that at one point when I was about 14 to 16 years old we just that was when we were kind of doing everything so we shoot USPSA that's when USPSA started allowing practice score to be used at bigger matches my dad was elected as our club president in I want to say 2011 um and uh, in addition to getting practice score approved for use at USPSA, we took on running, uh, we ran our state USPSA championship. I helped RO that. Um, the USPSA Area 1 championship, we ran that for two years here. And then we ran two or three USPSA nationals here in St. George at the Southern Utah uh, Practical Shooters. And um, back then, uh, you, they would also have a local match director for the nationals. So it wasn't just you know, Mark, Mike Foley or Jake Martins, or, um, well, I guess Shannon Smith was always a match director at uh, universal, but so yeah, for one or two years, Ken, Ken Nelson, my dad was a match director for nationals and I helped build all of those matches. Um, we also started shooting cowboy action as a, um, a friend of ours, um, sort of loaned us guns and helped us with load ammo for us. And we'd shoot, uh, we'd shoot cowboy, we actually launched a scoring application for that. That was for a while. It was a standalone application. We decided to 
to kind of try to make that pay. Practice score has always been free and uh, practice score always will be free for master directors and club directors because uh, it's something that we think needs to happen. Uh, in that case, we, we sort of decided to try a use case where uh, the end user would pay for a scoring application uh, for that Cowboy Action scoring app. And we travel around to sort of promote that. We do scoring for various uh, Cowboy matches. And uh, so we shot that as well. So at one point, we were shooting three-gun USPSA and Cowboy Action. I have to know what your alias was. So back then, it was Molasses Kid. Uh, <laughs> now it's not. <laughs> You're not. So, uh, now, well, it was always a joke then because I think when I started doing that, I was an A or master class USPSA shooter. Um, and I would always have like in our local club matches, I would have the fastest or one of the faster raw times. We have a couple of pretty good cowboy shooters here too, but I would have like two misses that were five seconds and it's cowboy action. It's all, you know, Virginia counts. So it's all, you get five rounds in revolver. You don't get to reload it and you wouldn't want to, if you could. Um, So, you know, and that game's more heavy on like, no, you have, here's, you got 10 rounds in, in the revolvers combined so from one spot, here's a way that you can expend 10 rounds in the correct sequence or sweep. It's like, you know, uh, you've got to shoot one round on target one and two rounds on target three and then two rounds on target two and then one round on target five. Like, Have you shot with Matt Black before? The kid that's like 20? Yeah, yeah. Matt Black is uh, Dylan Holsey. Is, there, yeah. Uh, name. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I just, uh, shot with him a few times. Yeah. I used to shoot cowboy action, so I did do that for two years. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, so when you're yeah, so what was your alias? I'm Maverick Fitzpatrick. I made it rhyme with my last name. <laughs> that works. Yeah. That was you a lot of fun, is, though. I very well could have shot with you in cowboy action and would have no idea because there's people I still don't know their actual name. No, that's, that's 100% true. There's even, like, cowboys that have me on Facebook. They use their aliases as their Facebook name. Like, yep. this doesn't help. <laughs> like, yes. Well, I mean, you know, unless you just run into them public and like oh hey you know yep. alias yeah that's awesome so then did you find your way into like steel challenge or like i mean ak yeah, match? steel challenge um we sorry what's that i was gonna say and then ak matches they i don't even know when they started those you know um well i know exactly when they started um because i did it uh i ran the first major one i guess um but uh, so yeah, steel challenge. I did. Um, we never really did it at our club much. We did run, I had shot steel challenge matches. There was one in Vegas. We decided to go down and shoot really as a, like, Hey, let's see what this is about. I knew what steel challenge was from seeing it on, you know, again, shooting USA, um, or shooting gallery, especially in 2000. So like, you know, when I started shooting steel challenge was also different. It was different ownership. I think USPSA bought it in 2009, but you know, when I started, it was still in Pyre, California. It was Mike Dalton and another Mike whose last name escapes me. But um, I think the 2007 Steel Challenge, I didn't shoot it, but um, I read about it. I think that still was the most money and cash, like cash and product value that has ever been given away for a practical shooting match was the 2007 Steel Challenge prize table. Like it was a big deal back then. Checks and, uh, um, you know, I mean, early 2000s back in the 90s like our stuff was on espn you know it's true um, true but anyway yeah um i shot steel challenge we had the steel challenge after uspsa bought it here in st george like the world speed shooting championship um which was not well attended that year um when they moved it out of uh when they moved it out of california i think there were like 70 shooters that year it was not wow <laughs> yeah small <laughs> it was 
So it was small. USPSA was still finding their way on what to do with Steel Challenge. They've done a much, you know, they've done a great job with it now, I think. Um, and a lot of that, I think, was due to uh, Zach Jones being appointed as their being, I don't know how he ended up as the, basically the coordinator for Steel Challenge, but seems to have done a very good job with it. Um, yeah. But yeah, the year I shot the World Speed Shooting Championship, for context, I was on the Super Squad. And I was, a, at that point, I was a GM pistol shooter. I had not seen all eight of the stages before. Really? So I've literally not shot all eight of them because like a local steel challenge match, usually they'd shoot six of them Yeah. because if you're running a look, that's the other thing that blows my mind is if you're running a local steel challenge match, you would think it'd go quick, right? No. It's yeah. like, Oh yeah, it's all static plates and every set. Oh no, no, no. You still got to paint the plates after every shooter. And like, I think it took longer than a local USPSA match when I shot at all eight stages in a, <laughs> the first time I shot all eight of them in a local. So I'm on the super squad. I've never shot all eight of the stages. Um, and I'm legitimately like asking Max Michelle, like, hey man, um, this is gonna sound dumb, but how do you shoot this one? Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I've never seen five to go. I don't know what the, you know, or uh, he's like, yeah, he kind of looks at me like, what are you me? doing here? <laughs> like, dude, there, I mean, you know, and I, I, uh, I'd known Max a, a little bit from uh, uh, teaching at the MGM Junior Shooter Camp, well, being a student and then teaching at it. Um, but he's like, oh, yeah, shoot it like this. I'm like, okay, cool. It, was, it didn't go well. Um, there, I do have a photo. I did actually that year, though, in limited division, I did win Outer Limits, um, which surprised even me. I'm like, really? That's okay. great. That's a hard-ass uh, stage. It was a little tiny plate. Back that was probably why. And it was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, cool. Anyway, yeah, I shot Steel Challenge. And then, um, uh, yeah, well, Steel Challenge is an interesting sport to me. Um, we do have it or have run it on Thursday nights here in St. George, uh, although they just shut it down for the winter. Um, it's uh, because I think people have, a, if you haven't done it a lot, I think people have kind of the wrong perspective on Steel Challenge because like in my day job, I work with a lot of military and law enforcement and do scoring for them. And I try to bring them into, not try, successfully like, brought them into competition. In fact, I shot a steel challenge match with a uh, special operations unit um, in the middle of a class that I was audit or I got to attend for scoring tech and actually be a student in this uh, cool course. And on the weekend of it, we actually went and basically everybody in the class went to a steel challenge match and shot it. Um, and people think, Oh, it's steel challenge. Well, it's really, it's a speed shooting competition, right? It's, it's uh, real fast and, and smoke and hope sets the tone. People think that it's all smoke and hope. And it's not, but um, I, I actually say that steel challenge is the action shooting sports closest equivalent to bullseye. Um, other than Bianchi cup, which is literally bullseye. Yeah. Um, just yeah. bigger with more time limit uh, or with, with less time limit. Yeah. Um, steel challenge is like USPSA's equivalent of bullseye because to win or do well at steel challenge, not that it's the same shooting skills at all, but the concept is, is that bullseye is not about who can shoot an X ring. It's about who can shoot the most X-rings, you know, who can shoot the least nines in bullseye. Steel challenge is about who can do a 0.7 draw and 0.3 target transitions for four strings yep. on every single stage, uh, including like, you know, on outer limits, what's the far target? They're like 35 yards. Well, they're far. I don't know the exact, but they are far. And you yeah, don't. And it's an 18 by 24, but like, and then there's a lot of 10 inch and 12 inch plates to, you know, 15 yards, stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, the last plate on 
five to go. Um, you know, it's, it's about executing processes exactly the way that you want them to with no slop, no slack at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sight alignment to some extent. And it's, you know, just the mechanics of drawing the gun. So when you're, I've seen your videos that you posted on Instagram and stuff, breaking down steel challenge, but for like people listening that haven't seen those, like how does someone master steel challenge? Can they dry fire at home or what should they really be focused on in matches? Um, well, it, for steel challenge, I'm, I'm not necessarily the right person to ask. I've, I've done a little bit with it, but, um, yeah, dry fire, um, dry fire surrender starts and another free thing that really will help, um, partly to reduce your times, but also just to reduce the chance of fouling up a draw is adjusting your holster around your hands being here, you know, some sort of consistent index. If you want to do like forward or sides of your pro hat brim, whatever, um, just set it up so that naturally your hands fall to your holster. Uh, and that means it's probably going to be a slightly different setup than whatever you have on your holster for shooting, you know, USPSA three gun, um, or if you've just never adjusted your holster at all. Um, I was one of those people. people. <laughs> or you're like me and it's like, yeah, adjust your holster. By the way, I'm using a Safari Land 6390, like law enforcement, you know, duty hanger that has, it's like for a two inch belt on a one and a half inch belt. So like, you know, you can adjust it by just wedging it, but you know, it'll, it will come out of adjustment. So you yeah. can just constantly like bending the thing. Um, <laughs> mostly because I'm just too lazy to actually get a proper hanger for that thing or the, you know, um, I've also had issues with some of the, um, I'm also, I'm very lucky in a lot of big picture things and I'm very unlucky with small picture things. I'm lucky in that I get, I have an awesome job where I get to do what I want. I get to shoot a lot and I have a, I live in a great place, but stuff that doesn't break, you know, another guy, a friend of mine jokes it like, yes, uh, I'll tell, Oh yeah, I don't really care for that. You know, it broke for me. He just did, at one point turns says, Brian, you break hammers, like shut up, you know? Um, so holster hangers are one of those things for me. I had, uh, you know, I've never seen this with any other one of these products. So don't take this as a bash on this product, but I got the Safari land USPSA holster hanger kit, mm-hmm. you know, super modular and it fits the three bolt pattern, which means it fits the Safari land QLS mm-hmm. and all my, you know, almost all my holsters are on QLS. Most of my holsters are retention holsters for three gun yeah. or for instructing and all sorts of different stuff. Um, and yeah, I, snapped it just not even doing anything crazy i think i like went prone started shooting a rifle got up oh my holster is on the ground and not on me um because the you know the aluminum arm just snapped um so i'm a little bit hesitant about stuff like that Um, yeah yeah (laughs) but anyway yeah adjusting your holster is a big tip that will help you with steel challenge um and then uh, this is a good way to train for anything and steel challenge happens to align with you know, the, the literal process of steel challenge, which is uh, on all the stages except for outer limits, you shoot five strings, they take your best four. Mm-hmm. Um, and on outer limits, shoot four strings, they take your best three, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yep. Um, so in dry fire and in a lot of the live fire practice that I do, um, I do not at all related to steel challenge. It's just a good process for making sure um, – backing up a little bit more big picture, there's practice and then there's training. Those two things aren't actually the same. Although we use those words interchangeably, I don't think of them as the same. Training is where I'm learning something new uh, or learning how to do something faster than I've ever done it before or trying to basically improve on speed. 
practice is where I take something I already know how to do and can do well and make sure that I can actually execute that uh, when the buzzer goes off. So if you want to train, that should probably be a lot more live fire because you get recoil, you get a record, you get to make sure that things actually work and you get more accountability than you would just, you know, ready, fire, ready, fire, aim, you know, oh, yeah, click. Oh, that was a good dry fire because my sights were aligned at the end. Yeah, but you pulled the trigger before the sights were aligned. Um, when you go into real high speeds, you know, sometimes you get tripped up like that in dry fire. Um, so the training is much more live fire. It's going to be slow when you're learning something new or you're just pushing it really fast when you're trying to get faster. And then training is, no, no, no. I know I can do a, let's just say a, a modest draw. I can do a 1.5 second draw on a, you know, on an A zone at 10 yards, right? Cool. That's where we're at, right? I can do that consistently. So the training would be, if I know I can do that live fire, I will do that in dry fire and say, oh, well, I'm going to do nothing but a 1.5 second draws. And I have to do that 10 times in a row under 1.5 seconds, being honest and accountable to my sights and my grip at the end of the draw. If I don't do that 10 times in a row, if I mess up repetition number 10, we're back on repetition number one. Yeah, I've seen um, videos that's how. That's legit. So that's, that's dry fire and I'll do that live fire. Uh, and so the key to doing that is, you know, if you're going to do a dry fire, you know, I, I'm somewhat generous in a part-time for dry fire, unless it's something I actually have a lot of data on. Mm -hmm. Like, so I know that from a race holster, yes, that's a 0.7 draw. I know that it's a 0.7 draw is repeatable, consistent for me. So yeah, I'll do a 0.7 draw to a, you know, 10 yard A zone. And, uh, I'll set that in dry fire. If I had no idea, I would just start off and like, okay, well, let's just start off with a part-time that seems achievable. You know, let's, uh, let's draw the gun in 1.5 seconds. Okay. I'm, that's way too long. Let's go down to 1.25. Okay. Let's go to one second. Okay. It looks like one second is, is, you know, could I do this in 0.7? Probably, but one second seems to be what's consistent for me. I would rather make sure that I can do that consistently in practice um, and execute that in a match without failure and have, and be able to pay attention to what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, again, unless it's something you actually have a lot of experience in data, you know, doing live fire. Right. Yeah. And you do that, you do that same thing live fire. And now's when you're accountable for misses. Right. right? So, um, or not sometimes, you know, some things it's like, yeah, I'm going to allow myself to have two makeup shots on this, on this run. Uh, that's not ever really the fastest way to do something, but you know, some targets are literally, I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, sometimes how poorly a factory gun with their ammo they're using can shoot. Uh, and they set like, you know, if we're doing rifle work, for example, like, you know, one of my regular instruction guns is, it's a very good high quality rifle and with good ammo, it shoots great. You know, it shoots for 30 rounds. It shoots about three inch groups at hundred yards. And with green tip, it shoots like six inches at a hundred yards. So if I'm trying to make myself accountable 100% to a four inch target, yeah. you're not going to do it. No, Math is not on your side, right? You either need to allow some makeup shots and allow yourself to let that cone of fire fill in, which is a skill and you need to do, um, or make a target bigger where you can hit it every time. You just understand <laughs> it. Yeah. You get eight inch plate at that with that gun at that distance, you know? Um, so Anyway, yeah, that's uh, some of the training. Anyway, long way around of talking with Steel Challenge. Uh, I apologize. I am guilty of getting very far off on another topic. But that kind of training will help you a lot for Steel Challenge. And I would essentially make it the draw matters a lot. You need to A, hit the target with your first shot off the draw. And B, it needs to be fast. 
C, these are all high priorities. I'm not sure which one I would put at the front because they're all very important for steel challenge specifically. Uh, you have to have, you still have to have a good rep. Um, that matters less if you're shooting, you know, shooting hundred grain steel challenge, nine millimeter load. That's like a hundred power factor. Um, but it still does matter for your index on every other target on the, uh, you know, on the stage. So do draws, do them like that. Set an aggressive part time. Um, and then target transitions, you know, as soon as you, you know, push a trigger and see a sight aligned on a target, moving your eyes, moving your gun to the next target. Yeah. Brilliant. Those fundamental skills will help a lot. And then, and then beyond that, it is, this is something I haven't done. So that this is just looking at other people I know who are good at steel challenge, what they've done is, and then shoot steel challenge, like shoot matches or set up the stages and shoot the stages. Like, over and over again. Yeah. There are a few things in our sport where we get to literally, yep, this is the stage. Here it is. You need five plates to set it up, like in a, in, in a box. <laughs> um, you know, um, it, I helped with the uh, MGM junior camp a couple of years ago when BJ Norris ran it in Lewiston. And BJ is obviously one of the greatest steel challenge shooters that's ever been. Um, and yeah, his little, you know, it was a gravel pit there. Um, there's springs in the ground. This is where, you know, and they're different colors. Like each different color is a different stage. He's, you know, set it up and just move around and, and shoot every stage from the steel challenge. Love it. Um, yep. Because um, at the high level, and I don't recommend this for everybody, um, but at the high level in Steel Challenge, um, the gun doesn't stop moving until it gets to the stop plate. Mm-hmm. So what you're looking at is, is you know, a plate and your sight alignment, whether that's a dot or irons, Steel Challenge doesn't even really matter much. Um, it never stops on it. So it's just you're pulling the trigger here, bang, and then moving on to the next plate. Yeah, I've seen that. It's, it's wicked. Yeah. <laughs> everybody gets to do that on Smoke and Hope. And it's kind of cool because it's, it's something to learn. Um, and uh, another great way to learn that actually is something that helps a lot. Uh, it's a variation of something I learned from Patrick Kelly called the sweep drill. And you can look that up on YouTube. It's the sweep drill or something like that. If you search for that, it'll come up. It's something he did for learning uh, how to shoot a shotgun at ground targets fast. Because with a shotgun, it's the same idea, except, you know, with Steel Challenge, if we think about Smoke and Hope, we're shooting an 18-inch target. Yeah. In terms of width, like 18 inch wide, uh, with a bullet that's always nine millimeters wide. <laughs> well, shotgun is reverse. We're shooting a you know six inch target, but it doesn't matter because I'm using sometimes an 18 inch bullet. Yeah. So it's I need to basically take and imagine an 18 inch circle around my target and keep the gun moving and pull the trigger without stopping it, and that's how you get speed with a shotgun. Otherwise, it's a very big, heavy recoiling, low ammo PCC. It's not very good at being a PCC. Um, it's true yeah unless you a old shotgun then it's really good at being pcc because that also don't work um, and it's really fun <laughs> so yeah. when you move um like when shooters move up or try uspsa and stuff now we're in the movement you know section of, of shooting yeah. and all that so then what do they work on when it comes to like transitions there or footwork or how is that you know the step up to put it all together yeah so i like to say that all practical shooting if it's done I would say all practical shooting, this is one of the hallmarks of practical shooting, is it is about marksmanship fundamentals, and that means all marksmanship fundamentals, which I would say grip, stance, recoil control, and shooting for speed fall into that. It's all about the execution of marksmanship fundamentals with interruptions in between. Um, So those interruptions are varied in scale. Steel Challenge has very few interruptions, almost none, right? You have to move on outer limits, and you have to draw the gun. You have to get the gun into action. 
Um, we move to USPSA and now we have more interruptions. Those interruptions become reloads. Those interruptions become moving between uh, positions. So what you're trying to do is minimize that interruption. What that means is um, there's a lot that can be gained just from efficiency in leaving and entering positions. So leaving a position, it, essentially, if you think of it as a target-to-target transition, so shooting at multiple targets, just like in Steel Challenge, as soon as I know that I have accomplished whatever that goal was on that target. So USPSA, mostly that's two shots per target, right? Yeah. And I've called, you know, see my sights lift, single alpha. Next time the sights lift, single alpha. Calling a shot lets me know that I'm done with that. Okay, real so quick. As soon as, yep. When you're there, that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand. Can you explain what calling your shots are, not where you see it on paper? Yeah, but absolutely. So... Calling a shot is it, it's an incredibly important part of the fundamental process of firing a gun for performance, mm-hmm. uh, not just for speed. So essentially what most people talk about when they say calling a shot, that is knowing where the bullet landed um, through the use of the sights. So rather than uh, what you call prairie dogging or, um, you know, okay, I have, a, I have a USPSA target, I shoot it, bang, bang, and, you know, double tap or whatever, and then they stick their head up and look over the gun. Oh, there's an alpha Charlie. Cool. And then we'll go. Um, that's a way to call a shot is visually look at a bullet hole on a target. Uh, but it's not generally the way that we want to do things. Number one, the more shot up the target is, the more difficult this becomes. The smaller the bullet diameter is, the part of this becomes. So it's functionally, you know, beyond like 10 yards. It's not a thing with rifles, with quad five, six rifles, uh, small holes, easier with slugs. Um, but the, uh, so calling a shot essentially is watching the movement. So this is my front sight. I shoot the gun, front sight goes up. And if you're shooting me in the face, um, then you would know as soon as I fire the gun, the front sight lifts, you've called the shot as a hit because you saw the sight lift from my face. You did not need to see any effect. You didn't need to see any impact on steel. You didn't need to see a bullet over the paper. Or I know if I'm watching that same thumb, that same front sight, and as I pull the trigger, if I'm watching the sight, I see this and then it lifts. We know we have a miss because I saw my front sight lift from somewhere that is not the proper target. So that's the idea of calling a shot. It's important for shooting at multiple targets, but it's also something people overlook as a literal marksmanship fundamental because it tells us something very important. It doesn't just tell us uh, what the bullet did or where the bullet landed. That's secondary. When you see the sights lift, that is your cue that the gun has fired. You're done. Right. Uh, so what that also lets us do is move into whatever post-shot thing we need to do. Sometimes that's moving the gun off the target. The one thing that always needs to happen post-shot on a semi-auto gun is we need to reset the trigger. Yeah. Um, so it's one of the cues I use for people also is, hey, watch your front sight. As soon as you see the front sight lift, reset your trigger finger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that avoids the, the tendency people have that's taught deliberately in some places. Some people just learn it naturally of, you know, fire the gun, pin the trigger, bring the gun back, let the trigger out. Um, yeah which is, of course, slow, but also causes people to miss because, you know, no matter who you are, unless you've really, really specifically worked on this, okay, I'm looking at my gun and it's sighted in on a target. There are my sights. Okay, now I need to let the trigger out. Now I need to pull the trigger. Ah, yep, because you feel it. like you're rushed because you've been staring at a sight picture that's telling you, yep, you're good um, <laughs> yeah. for, you know, a half a second, which is forever when you're looking at sights. Yeah, so I'm um, glad you explained so, that. You know, so many people miss the... Yep. calling shots and like I, I know my friends at the higher level they're literally finished a stage and you know everybody be like all right 
what do you have on that stage? They're like, oh, I know I have three Charlies. Like, how the hell do you know? Drop one there, drop one there, drop one there, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, okay, going back to putting it all together, but I interrupted you. So putting it all together, so if we think about a target-to-target transition, this is important for anything that requires mobile target engagements in in the competitive shooting environment where we know generally this is what a target takes to neutralize, right? So, So, you know, I'm shooting two rounds on a target. Okay, I see sights lift, bang. Sights lift, bang, I know as soon as this lifts, I'm done. So the next thing that happens is I need to look at the next thing I'm going to shoot. So this lifts, I look at my next target, and I start bringing this over here as the gun is recovering from recoil. Mm-hmm. That's a proper target-to-target transition. As soon as I see the proper sight line here, I start pulling the trigger. Um, doesn't mean you have to pull the trigger any faster. It's another thing I like to tell people to think about. Don't think about just pull the trigger now. Start pulling the trigger. Um, eventually, depending on the gun, because obviously if you're shooting a you know, double action only HK USP and 40, like the port control gun, uh, then you're, you're going to have to pay a little bit more attention to that unless you're really, really good at shooting that gun. But yeah. um, the speed could be less. Just start the process when you see the sights aligned. Then the next highest level is when I think the sights are going to be aligned at the completion of the trigger pull, mm-hmm. start pulling the trigger. Okay. That's the complete sequence for getting from one target and getting a hit on the next target. Think about movement in the same way. Um, as soon as I know I'm done here, I'm going to look at and go to the next place. Just being efficient in, uh, in knowing when to get, when to start to move from a position Yeah, is what you'll see a lot of is people like, okay, shoot, bang, bang, back to sites. What now? Oh yeah. And then start moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it goes even a little bit deeper than that. This is something that you need to figure out before the buzzer goes off. Um, yeah which is, you know, it's kind of obvious once you've done it a little bit, but no, this is something that you need to do one, before the buzzer goes off. Uh, and it's something you figure out on a walkthrough. Any, any match you're going to go to, they're going to give you a three, four or five minute walkthrough. Um, and you're allowed to, in USPSA and IPSC, you're allowed to walk through and air gun the stages and point your thumb and stuff. And, oh yeah, I'm going to be here pointing my gun here. The lean's going to be this. And then, you know, there's different ways to control your momentum out of position. I can either start leaning, you know, make my momentum already set up to go to the next target area or my momentum's got to be, you know, my, my weight has to be away from the target area, in which case I'm going to like drop step or something like that to get out of that position. Um, that's what you figure out before the stage even happens. And then you sit there and visualize it. Mm-hmm. So you, you take things, you already know what they look like, close your eyes. I reference, Hey, you know, I can see the, the top edge of my front sight, that little fiber optic in there. As soon as I see that lift the second time from that target, I'm going to pull my left leg out from under me, push off and run to that other spot over there. Or, you know, I'm going to pull my left leg out from under me and I'm going to drop the magazine on my, and start my reload. Yeah. Now what about like, um, what are you looking at when you look at no shoot targets and even like hardcover targets? I know a lot of people kind of struggle with those. Yeah. I look at, uh, well, for one, um, it just like, just like a gun has a mechanical cone of fire, right? I talk about my rifle that shoots six inches with one ammo, four inches with another ammo. Uh, for one thing, if you look at a tight no shoot or a hardcover target, how much target area do you have and what can you actually hit? Like if I just say, hey, draw and shoot a control pair on a timer, can you hit an eight inch target at a distance? Can you hit a six inch target? Like for some people, you're just going to hit hardcover or no shoot because you don't have the marks to your fundamentals. Yeah. And that's like a surprising amount of people. And a, and a lot of people, I think, kind of skate by, oh, they'll have a miss over the shoulder or, you know, 
they execute the thing they can do one out of 10 times. They have, they happen to execute that task under the, under the clock, which is awesome. Um, So the first thing I back up from is have the mechanical, like the, not mechanical, but the fundamental ability to do that target. Then pick where you're going to aim and your mechanical fundamental ability is going to inform where you have to aim. So, and it's a little bit balanced on power factor also. Yeah. Uh, If I'm shooting a target with hardcover and, oh, what's the risk of me shooting a Charlie if I'm shooting major power factor open or limited? But minor, yeah. A point, you know, oh, I'm going to drop two points. Okay, whatever. Okay, I'm shooting minor. And by the way, that's that's still not what you want to do if you're, you know, trying to win a match. But for most people below, like, I'd say 85%, like if you typically finish 85% below, uh, probably doesn't really matter that much. Uh, once you get above that, then even with major power factor, it, it matters a lot more. Um, yeah, I'm shooting nine mil, shooting minor power factor. Um, every Charlie drops two points, so I have four points down. That changes the equation a little bit. Um, so if you have the fundamental skill to do it, I'm going to pick the uh, largest area where I have the most A zone around my aiming point. Uh, Yep. Now that could be real close to a no shoot, depending on how it's set Speaking up. Of, like the stack uh, stuff. Like I, I feel like I tend to hit Charlie's when it's that a zone because it's safe instead of really yeah. trying to get those points. Yeah. Well, and then um, another part of it is, I mean, there's so much with USPSA that goes into it. And unfortunately I shot exactly three USPSA matches this year um, just with other uh, stuff that I've had going on. So uh, I, 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 unfortunately I wouldn't even feel comfortable teaching a competition class because I'm, real rusty at it um but uh yeah it's uh in shooting you get a little bit of uh like the little sliver of a zone mm-hmm. yeah it's probably sorry backing it up even beyond that it also depends on what the high hit factor on the stage is yeah um, so i'm looking at a stage that has a high hit factor like it's a you know it's a lot of points divided by a short time essentially well, then the points matter less and what I can do is save time is going to be more important. So right. if I'm going to add a half second for every shot to make sure that it's an A on a 10 hit factor stage and I'm going to give up a second to get two alphas, it's probably not worth it. Right. If I'm going to add a quarter second and it's a four hit factor stage, then it's worth it. Um, right. And in either scenario, the worst possible thing you could do is have a no shoot and or a mic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... First, hit everything. Once you can hit everything, and that's that's. It, I broke this down once. I should have written it down because uh, the person I was talking to appreciated it. But the hierarchy of how to be good at USPSA or pick a shooting sport or pick shooting, like in general, number one, your stuff has to work. Yep. Like your gun has to work 100 percent of the time. Have uh, you met me? Mine does not. None of mine. No, no, I, I, again, I'm lucky in big things, unlucky in small things. Yeah. Uh, okay, so get, get the gun that works, guys. Pro tip. <laughs> gun this got, the gun has to work. Uh, and your, your whole system has to work. And by work, I mean not just function. Like, yeah. you're not doing yourself any favors if you're going to try to shoot USPSA with a gun that shoots a 10 inch group at 20 yards. Yep. Because you're going to have to shoot a smaller target than that. And you're going to hit a no shoot, and it's not even going to be your fault. I mean, it is because you chose that gun, but you know, it's, you didn't fail. Your gun failed. Don't you love it too? I have to say this when people are like, oh, well you're in cheater division with PCC. So it doesn't count that you got this like win or whatever. It's like, oh, choose the right gun. Like open still beats me. So I'm in the wrong gun too. 
Just saying. You know, and like Mills doesn't even choose a wrong gun. He plastics goes to second place. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the right gun that's for you. Proving, that's proving to me that there should be no divisional separation whatsoever in USPSA. What? No, I'm just yeah, kidding. You guys I'm are just kidding. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> revolver and open? No. <laughs> I mean, that, that's how it was for a while. Wait, I mean, not have, you, have you shot revolver? No, I haven't shot. Well, <laughs> I have, like, for a stage. I don't think I shot a full match with it. Um, <laughs> and to be clear, I shot cowboy action, right? So I shot single action revolvers and lever action guns. I shot a steel challenge, or not, I shot an outlaw steel match with downloaded ammo in a Lee Enfield once. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I like it. And even, I, and, and that was, I did that for fun because it looked cool. And I don't think revolver looks like it's fun in USPSA. No, it really doesn't. It, yeah. Cowboy I, I'm sorry. It's like, and then you look at the, well, and then you look at the special stuff that goes into it. And it's also because I already have enough specialized tools for enough other, but like, you know, oh, so I need, um, I need moon clips. Oh, I need moon clips to fit that brass. So that means I need to use that brass. Right. So that means I need to make sure I either use the same ammo every time, which uh, I don't load as much ammo as I used to. Um, but you mean I've got to be picky about brass or I've got to find only federal ammo to use. Yeah. Um, and only federal brass or whatever. And I have to use that. And I have to have a special freaking tool to get the brass out of the moon clip. And then I reload the moon clip. Like this, this yeah. doesn't look fun at all. Yeah, that's This true. looks like, you know... It, uh, there's probably like four people very angry. Uh, well, yeah, there's probably like four people watching this very angry that uh, I'm not at all <laughs> correct in how revolverism works. And I don't really care um, because the, you know, that roughly reflects revolver participation in USPSA. It's about four people. Um, but uh, I say that with nothing but love. I love the, it. Uh, it looks like cap and ball revolvers to me. I have... Actually, I have two cap and ball revolvers. I've shot one of them. I won the other one. At you haven't done the horseback cap ball. I have not done that. I've been on a horse twice. That was. Oh, nice. I really want to do that. That would be really cool. We've no, digressed. Cool. We've digressed. Where were we? <laughs> we were talking about still challenge. No, we we're talking about moving no, to USPSA. You, yeah, yeah. So the hierarchy of things in USPSA first. First, your gun has to work. Yep. Right. No matter what you pick, your gun has to work. Mm -hmm. uh, and work for precision and for reliability. Number two, hit all the targets. Once you can do those two things, I mean, like you can hit all the targets that are going to be put out there. You're fundamentally sound to hit all the targets at speed. Then we can work on making and executing a plan. And then I think that's after that comes movement yeah. um, specific, uh, specifically. Because there are things in, in terms of movement technique-wise, knowing how to do a drop step, knowing how to manage momentum that are very helpful. Yeah. Um, um, and a good source of information for that is the book Smart Move, uh, Kita Bussy or Bus. I, I don't remember. Bussy, uh, Sorry, Kita. I don't know. I can't Kita. remember how to pronounce her last <laughs> yeah. name. I feel bad about it. But anyway, that's something to check out for moving in the sport. She also has specific classes just on that. Um, and if you if you go to a competition shooting class, it's probably going to, to touch on it from any one of the you know good competition shooters that offer them, whether that's um, Stoger, Max Michelle, JJ. Um, Yep. They pick a GM that offers a class and they're going to give you good, yeah. some good stuff for that. Um, and those also translate very well into a lot of things in the shooting world. USP, or USPSA, I think, is if you can do USPSA well um, and then translate the gun part of it, the movement part of it directly translates into shooting sports, just yep. period. Uh, 
you're going to, uh, to you're going to really beat a lot of people in you in IDPA because understanding it, the movement's largely the same. Although it's been a long time since they shot an IDPA match, the movement's largely the same, especially since they started using fault lines instead of subjective cover calls. You know, the SOs used to basically look and say that's too much, and then they yell cover, cover, and you have to like move back and try again. Now they use fault lines, much less subjective, much more legitimate to decide who who the best shooter is that day. Yeah. Um, the movement's going to continue, going to be the same for IDPA to USPSA. It's going to be largely the same three gun, and it brings in thinking about movement as a legitimate part of the uh, stage. Because in three gun, um, you have to be moving at all on, times. Um, <laughs> like, what really? See, I hesitate to say anything about you know. Oh yes, this is the thing for three gun because it's like you know how much efficient footwork saved me at an Andy Horner match. This much zero. You need right. to have accuracy in um, Andy Horner scoring. Yeah, like Blue Ridge Mountain. It's like no, no, no. That was like all the best efficient footwork you could have was like two makeup shots on a long range rifle target because yeah. it's like yeah, it's an eight inch target, at like five hundred yards, and you know your gun can't hit that. So you got to you have to take three makeup shots for the cone of fire to fill in. You know stuff that, like that. Or that's like match you know. specific. I would. I feel like I've been to so many in different. Exactly. Areas. Yeah. Yeah, Missouri, Minnesota. You look at Florida and Georgia. Every single match, okay. I need to. I need to get at that. I need to get at this. Yeah, and some it's all of it. But I ran a match out here earlier this year, February, called the Hardest Hell Two Gun, uh, which was a series of matches we started here in St. George in 2012. And we did a three gun match up till I think 2017, if I remember correctly. Uh, and we also ran, and that was a three gun match, rifle, pistol, shotgun. Um, yep. And we ran a two gun for two years, 2017 and 2018. Um, and then took a hiatus. And then I ran the hardest hell two gun again here in 2021. You're the one that did uh, all that in Texas, the hardest hell thing. No, no, no. So that was actually another, uh, another, uh, club. That was my friends at the Killians. Um, and they, they ran, that was based on that. There was another one, uh, at rock castle called the rock hard three gun championship. I remember that. Yep. Yep. Uh, those were all based around hard as hell, um, which was a match that we started here in, uh, 2012. Uh, again, that was actually Pete Rensing and my dad and myself, I helped build the thing. I didn't, and I, I was the match director for hard as hell starting in 2015 until the last year. Um, but that was a, and that's similar in, in a lot of ways to a match earlier than that called the MGM Ironman, which was, in Parma, Idaho, hosted by MGM Targets. That's one where that match, that, that match specifically being featured on the first season of Three Gun Nation, I think that was what pulled a lot of people into Three Gun also. Three Gun Nation, the TV yeah. show on NBC Sports. The first two seasons of Three Gun Nation, they're just going to different outlaw matches. And like that was also like Three Gun Nation covered outlaw and USPSA Three Gun back when it was really cool. I know. I kind of. Three Gun's cool because of the shooting, but. Like back then, that year at USPSA Multigun Nationals, of all the places, like you wouldn't think that now. Yeah, there's just straight up a scored target array with a stage gun that is a, a suppressed M240, like a 762 belt thing at USPSA Nationals. So it's like, cool. Wait, what? Yeah, you know, they don't that, do that. that's not, <laughs> you couldn't really see that at like, you know, the, the two gun nationals this year was fun, but you couldn't really see that happening there. Like, oh, yeah, here's a belt. I fed 308, like, and here's some scored targets. Can you imagine how people would freak out if they would lose their mind? By the way, if you have a penalty with this belt fed, that's you've earned point. it. You, know? you don't know how to operate. Like, you never shot it. You don't know if it's zero. You know, that's on you, bud. I mean, and in fairness, like, you know, stage guns cause controversy like that back they in the do. day. Um, 
Uh, and I, I put him in matches too. I put him in a match this year. I put him in Rock October. But we had one. People bitch about, like, I got to shoot an MP5. I got to shoot an actual machine gun. I don't even remember, M42 or something. And M42, like a. Yes, big old. And, like, okay, yeah. so I shot that machine gun and I shot the stage of my life. And I think it was because I was so excited and happy that when I got up there, went one for one in long range, then jumped off the Jeep and took off. And I was like, that was the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> Set the tone. So, you know. I've gotten to the, you know, because it was something that was always controversial that, that uh, people would do. I've done it as a master trucker. I did it this year, like, because I really want to have a conversation with someone who's like one of the stage guns we had for Red October. Well, the only one we ended up actually using um, was an M72, or I'm sorry, an M79, uh, which is a break action 40 millimeter grenade launcher uh, from Vietnam. It's like if you've seen, I think it was Apocalypse Now, they used it. Um, but it's a, it's just a cool gun. It's like, yeah, it's a break open, like looks like it looks like a weird, you know, double barreled shotgun, except it's just one big 40 millimeter barrel. Um, and I just want to have a conversation with someone who's like, I don't think it's fun to shoot a 40 millimeter grenade launcher. And I just want to look them in the eye and say, I don't care. Look, like, yeah. It rocks. Like <laughs> it, you're not a function, like you're not a real human being. I don't you know. There's, I understand that um, there's certain things that aren't fair, and I've had to pull stage guns from matches because something went wrong, and it's like, oh, yeah, the zero on this gun is not on anymore, and it's you know you're trying to have to shoot eight inch yards, and the gun got bumped, and something changed. Like that's not fun, but yeah. the idea that we're not going to take anything out of it. again, practical shooting is about the ex the execution of marksmanship with interruptions in the way. Yeah, yeah, and, I like that. You know, like shooting a grenade launcher in a stage. That's an interruption. Fine. You know, you know, maybe it's for score. Maybe it's not. It should be something that's fair. It should be something that we could expect people to do. Like, you know, I don't expect people to constantly, you know, reload an AK if they're a left-handed person in the middle of a three-gun match. Like, that's not cool. Fuck. Yeah. And even that, I think, like, you know, the right, the right audience and the right type of match, that would work. Uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, back, back then, uh, the MGM Ironman was one of those matches where people see – like, yeah, that match, that was, I think the first time I shot an MP5 was that match. It was a stage gun. And then, you know, you clear, you go through like a whole trench complex. I think that year it was pistol in this trench. And like you leave it there, you pick up a 90 pound dummy and carry it. Um, it was like 400 yards. I mean, it was, it was a ways um, downhill, fortunately. Um, oh, lucky. Yeah. I've done uphill in 27 degrees, but 200 pound dummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you take it off, you put it down, and then you pick up an MP5, yep. uh, and you've got to shoot a plate rack. And I think the rule – I don't know how that worked, but you shoot a plate rack, and every extra round you have, they give you, like, 20 rounds, um, which back – because back then, 20 rounds and nine was like, that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like stage gun. Yeah, here's, like, two bullets. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry. Like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Curve the ball. Uh, so you shoot a plate rack flip it to auto and then shoot a USPSA target. And anything that was in the A zone on full auto was like a two second bonus or something. I love that. I love that a lot. It was cool. Cool. Cause you can see um, control the full auto level. I, yeah. I yeah, know. Exactly. You know, it's just one of those like, but also, you know, I think there might've been a bonus if you dumped it all on auto, but I can't remember that may be useful thing because I would do that. Like, yeah, there's a two second bonus for everything in the A zone. By the way, there's another five second bonus if you do it in one 12 round or eight. <laughs> uh, that would have been fourteen round burst. Like, right, it's uh, fifty-five. You could do it, especially like you know, just lean into it a little. And it, it was like a five-yard target. Um, but um, when people are watching that on TV or watching like uh, like Russell Fagan's YouTube video about it, you know, like 
oh wow, there's like a blind stage, which is a terrible idea. Blind terrible, stage, terrible, terrible. 100%. They I did it, but it's like, and, and it was a cool blind stage because like, yeah, they straight up blindfold you, take you into a you know a plywood shoe house, put you in a lawn chair while they're giving you a stage briefing that is like, here's the scenario. You know, you've been hunting pirates in the Gulf of Aden. You've been captured because your friends are idiots, and uh, you know you you like saw the zip ties off on the edge of the chair, and then go to work. And I don't I don't even know if you had any of your own guns. Um, it was like, yeah, there's a Glock on the table over there. You shoot through there. Hey, there's an AK on a wire spool here. And then at the end of the stage, there's like an M240 or something. Um, wow. I didn't get to shoot that year, but it's like, when you're watching that, you're like, yes, this is something I want to do because cool. this is like a level of Call of Duty, but in real life, you know? <laughs> and, and like, before they even beat the timer, they're lighting a string of firecrackers burning on the floor by you. So like, as you're like cutting the zip ties off, there's firecrackers and stuff going off. Like, yeah, that sounds cool. If you don't think that's cool, like, I'm sorry. It's so neat. You know, you know, there's something a little bit broke about you. You've been in the shooting sports for so long that you've seen the changes in all of the sports over the years. Um, like, what have you seen, like, that's kind of, like, died out and especially multi-gun that you wish would come back? Or is it going to ever come back? Or can it come back? You know, stuff like that. How do we do that? Uh, multi-gun. So... At its core, multi-gun, I think three-gun is still doing well. Um, things that have changed. And is that, so the things that have changed, for one, I think that this will be – people are going to yell at me probably. I don't really care. Not literally. Um, I think that the moment we saw dual loading and quad loading for a shotgun, mm-hmm. we should have done something to separate that out. Um, not to make it go to open or ban it, but the difference between someone who has, let's say, I don't know, an M2 from Terran Tactical, the gun that I shoot, right? It's one of the top of the top line shotguns. Yeah. You have to buy a gun like that or a gun from Hayes or Rose Action Sports or something similar to that where someone buys a gun. Oftentimes they buy the three gun model of a factory shotgun. It still requires modification. It requires specialized equipment. And now you take take a TTI M2, take a, any pick a, a gun like that, or a gun that someone bought and took a Dremel to and did the right loading port stuff to. And then you take someone who says, yeah, I want to get into three-gun. Yeah. And they buy the three-gun model of M2. They buy a 1301 competition model. That gun's got a larger loading port than a standard 1301 or M2, and it still can't be quad loaded or dual loaded. Uh, well, it could be dual loaded, but not really. Uh, it's not the same thing. And there should have been something that, you know, stylistically we said, hey, you know, what would, what if we had done something like a modified division? Yeah, like, I IPSC has a modified division. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because the prevalence of that, and hey, maybe that would have become the only division anyway because you have open where at the time it was split between unreliable box fed shotguns like sega 12s which were not reliable now we have peppers and we have better stuff that's a little bit better um or and it was back then like it's kind of 50 50 or a regular shotgun with you know four round tech loaded tubes um that are about as fast as quad loading to be quite honest. Like there's not a whole lot of difference there, especially if you're a real good quad loader. Um, and I would argue that most people are better off learning quad loading than trying to learn how to do the whole stick thing. Cause yes. I think it's easier to learn the quads. <laughs> um, 
anyway, I, I, I wish that we had done something like that because I also think that it would have kept shotgun a little bit less. We would not have as high of a shotgun round count if some people were still as a matter of course, like, you know, why do we have eight round arrays in USPSA, right? Because someone's still shooting a single stack 1911 and it's sanctioned by the division, like by the rules, you shoot an eight round gun, you shoot an eight round open revolver, or eight round revolver and minor. Nobody yep. cares about six round revolver people because nobody cares about revolver people because nobody should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still want to make fun of revolver. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, yeah. but um, you know, same thing. If, if we're looking at matches and we're saying, yes, the base level of my sport in one of the divisions, just like people who aren't me care about, um, you know, red dot shooters and limited division people shooting iron set rifles. I actually don't care about that one, but long range out, but it's going to scope. Um, but so I'm also a hypocrite. Um, but no, if we, if match directors are looking at this and my base level shooter has an eight round shotgun with, and they're loading it one, two, three, four, not a 12 round shotgun that they're doing that. And now they have four shells in the gun. Um, I think that we would probably be a little more friendly to people getting into the sport and we, the perception of the game, which is not reality, but the perception of the game would not be that it's all about shotgun. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is- I, I run like I ran a, I ran one of the bigger two gun matches in the U S um, I've helped with the other, probably, probably the most famous two gun match in the U S is a match called desert brutality uh, in range TV, YouTube channel, Carl Casarda and uh, Ian McCollum and Russell Fagan made a match and it's, uh, the perception that's there from people who know about two gun, um, from people who shoot rifle matches, and people who shoot USPSA, the perception is that three gun is largely about reloading a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because of quad loading and long magazine tube shotguns. Yeah. The fact is that that's not at all true. In fact, the opposite is true. Since quad and dual loading came around, dude, I can take anyone in like a couple hours and get them to functionally dual load a shotgun to where they can, you know, it's not the determining factor on stage anymore. Right. When I started, we're loading four shells out of a caddy and like, oh, I've got to reload 16 rounds on this stage. That's a deciding factor. It isn't anymore. Yeah. You know, kind of like a reload in production. People think that production is about reloading. It's really not that much about reloading. It's about shooting an iron sighted pistol in minor, in minor power factor. Yeah. Because you're moving eight, eight so targets. That, that is, <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things that I think uh, the multi gun uh, would have been nice if we done a little better on uh, controlling yeah. and still having a place for it because obviously, you know, it's dominant in shotgun sports and IPSC. Um, yep. Nobody doesn't quad or dual load anymore. Um, <laughs> in three gun, nobody doesn't quad or dual load anymore. But, you know, if we look at shotguns and if we look at this as something that's supposed to have some martial or uh, military or law enforcement or self-defense relevance. Yeah. Okay. You know, if I take, well, like I shot a, uh, I shot a match with an issued M4 URGI. It's an actual uh, uh, SOCOM issued rifle configuration. And I, I was second with that gun. Actually, no, I won that match with that gun, uh, just huh. a rifle match, right? Because it's not that bad compared to a three gun tack ops rifle. Mm-hmm. I'm still using a variable powered optic. I'm still, you know, with a mid length gas. So it's not like terrible. It still shoots good enough groups. Um, you know, I shot a match with the Beretta M9. Actually, the Steel Challenge match I shot uh, with that squadron, I shot with an issued M18 pistol, 
and I won product. I, I won pistol in that match. I was beat by two guys with 22s, right? Nice. You can shoot the gun fairly well. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go out and do very well <laughs> at a three gun match, no matter how good you are yeah. with an 870, like with a, with an 870 police or with even with a 1301 tactical, like yeah, which is the miserable day, you know, the cool, cool guy, like law enforcement self defense shotgun now. Know, if you're not loading it with dual or quad loads, you know you're you're not gonna have a good time. You're not gonna be very competitive. And if the perception is that to play this game, I need to have a 1301 competition with a 12 round magazine too, people are just gonna get turned off by it and say no. Um, it's something that a match uh, the Southern Colorado Soco three gun tried to address with a patrol division, where it was a I think it was a pump action shotgun with six rounds in it. Um, and I don't know whatever happened there. Uh, but anyway, that, that's one of the things I wish, uh, we, we'd still had. Um, and then the other thing, this was actually functionally kind of gone by the time that I started shooting three gun. I brought it back a little bit, um, as I started getting more experience with it is making the shotgun more than just shoot a bunch of stuff on the ground real fast. Um, Yes. So more flying birds, which is still, it's still a thing. Like the Magpul Governor's Cup that I shot last year. Yeah. There were a lot of flying birds in it. That was a. Oh yeah. I mean, there were legit hard sporty place birds in there. Yep. Um, you'll still see that the clay pigeon toasters. MGM sells them now. They started off in Phoenix with a company called Black Sheep Manufacturing, but um, those are great. More flying stuff because that's what shotguns do. That's There's two ways to think about three gun, in my opinion. Yeah. Conceptually, there's two ways to think about three gun. Either three gun is supposed to be martial, like it's a military, law enforcement, self defense based competition, or it's just there are three types of guns in the world. There are rifles, there are pistols, there are shotguns. Muzzle loaders and bows don't count. Um, what an AR 15 is a perfectly fine, I mean, in terms of just types of gun, right? An AR 15 is a rifle. I can do all the rifle things, right? I can shoot close stuff really fast. I can shoot really far. I can shoot small, or, you know. A pistol, I can do the same thing. I can shoot close, fast. I need to do manipulations and reloads and all that stuff. What does a shotgun do? Well, shotguns shoot flying things. <laughs> shotguns shoot flying things. The other things that shotguns can do, if you have to, and these are still things that are done around the world, I need to kill deer with this thing, which means I need to shoot slugs. So I need to shoot far into the limitation of what slugs can do. We still do that in three-gun. Um, buckshot. What matches use buckshot anymore? Um, I brought them to oh. multi-gun nationals one year. Uh, the last multi-gun nationals, I know they used buckshot there. Uh, I think it was blue line three gun this year. That blue happened. line will use buckshot. Yeah, Tobin will put that in. Uh, and that's also kind of an extension of uh, of Andy Horner. Was the first time I used buckshot in a match was Blue Ridge because uh, yeah. Andy Horner put buckshot in the match and it was. Um, and it was kind of unimpressive the way that it was there because um, it was just, you know, oh, you're shooting 12-gauge buckshot. You need to have this many pellets on an IPSC target. But basically, all the pellets have to be on an IPSC target. But there wasn't a lot of, like, that was about it, you know. Um, so I used buckshot in Hardest Hell Multigun the last two years, I believe. Um, and one of the things that I, that, that I think IPSC does fairly well is buckshot and slugs are a – part of IPSC shotgun. I, I shot the uh, 2017 shotgun world shoot. It was, it was great. It was. That's my dream to shoot that, by the way, is to go to. What's world. that? My dream is to go over and shoot world Ipsic shotgun shoot like that. 
I have to go. I'll have to figure out a shotgun. Well, the next time they have one, uh, you can do it. That is the, well, you, you'll probably be able to do that. We can talk about that a little bit too. Um, but one of the things IPSC is very good about and how they handle shotguns. I think they did that well at world shoot. I've shot, I almost shot two IPSC shotgun matches. So I'm not, I would say that I'm an expert on them, but I did very well in one of them. Um, what I thought, what I appreciated was there's only one type of ammo on stage. Mm-hmm. So if there's a field course of buckshot, it's a, it's a field course with buckshot. It's, you know, 18 rounds of buckshot or whatever it was. Um, and it's hit factor score because, and mostly if all you're shooting is steel with, with like, I think there were maybe 20 paper targets in a 30 stage match. So you had paper with slugs and you had paper with buckshot. Um, so functionally there's no time difference between shooting steel with hit factor or time plus, right? It's, Oh yeah, you hit all steel. Congratulations, every steel is five points. Here's your hit factor. It's really just time anyway. Um, but then they had hit factor with slugs, right? And uh, the slug shooting wasn't even hard. The hardest thing was like a full Ipsic target at 40 yards, which is like the average. Yeah, mostly because we're lazy. Gun. We get 80, 100, and then Fort Benning did 200. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or I think Joel Turner called that all the yards. Once. Yeah, all the yards. Um, <laughs> How many yards is it? All the yards. All of uh, I put something like that. I had a target at part of style that was like 240 yards. It was a bear. It was a bear-sized bear. Um, okay. We called it sluggy bear because uh, shot it with slugs at like 240 yards. Um, oh my God. After you shot your shotgun a bunch, so it was super hot and there was nothing was actually hitting where you thought it would. But anyway, yeah. Um, not that hard, but it's hit factor, right? So you shoot Charlie. Well, it doesn't really matter because slugs are a major power factor, obviously. Um, but uh, the buckshot was the same thing. And you're shooting buckshot targets at like 35 yards. Um, and they're separated. So um, those stages also matter more because there's a limit on round count for IPSC shotgun. I forget what the max round count is. I think it's like 24 or something like that. It's not crazy. Um, I could be wrong about all of this too. I'm not exactly looking at the rule book. Um, but the thing is, okay, well, you can have a 24 round birdshot stage where you shoot 24 targets that are each worth five points. Well, a 24 round buckshot stage, you shoot 24 targets, but they score the best two hits. Mm-hmm. So instead of being, you know, it's, it's a 240 point stage instead of 120 point stage, it's double the stage point value. Yeah. Um, which at shotgun world shoot, because I put the time in for that match uh, to learn a lot more about buckshot than probably anyone needs to know. Um, it, I did very well on the buckshot stages. Literally, uh, I picked up two places over what was projected for my match finish because I did really well on those buckshot stages. And unfortunately, one of the guys that would have finished above me had a problem on, on the buckshot stages. So That's awesome, though. Uh, Hell yeah. Yeah, and I think that worked really well. Uh, I try to kind of replicate that. And the challenges you'll see are some of it's just like, yeah, you've got to make sure you get good hits with buckshot. You know? And another part of it is you have to not hit a no-shoot with buckshot. Yeah, I love I love no shoots and shotgun three gun right now. Like I haven't shot a no shoot with shotgun in so so long. Like I, I know my yeah. gun, I know the pattern. That's the that's yeah, so exactly. much. And that's fun the other part of it. Yeah, um, there was a period. I think it's gotten better now. Unfortunately, I haven't shot a three gun match. I don't think I shot a three gun match this year, um, which is I'm not, I'm not super happy about. But the the work stuff that we do has me running around all the time. I had to back out of like four or I had to back out of five major matches this year. Um, so basically, the only majors I shot were um, two gun. <laughs> I two used for, they were all two gun actually, as it happened, two not guns. on purpose necessarily. <laughs> but I shot Superstition Mountain in uh, two gun. 
I shot the Cobalt Kinetics Practical 2 gun, yep. and then I shot the USPSA 2 gun where we uh, got to meet in person. So cool. What do you think actually um, about like 2 gun when it was introduced? Were you excited? Were you leery about it? Like, what were your thoughts? Um, so I've done 2 gun for a long time, um, more as a uh, because no one in my club had a shotgun, there had to be an option to shoot 2 gun. Um, Right, because you know when I started here in 2008, we had an annual three gun match. Um, so I, I did run a three gun match here on a regular basis, where we do one a month. Um, and really, in a lot of ways, the only way it worked was if there was an option for someone to not use a shotgun. Yeah, yeah, but then the two gun concept, I was going to say, it is more of like the rifle platform, not so much the PCC. So like when they introduced yes. the PS2 gun and not having that option. Oh yeah. You meant the USPSA. Well, gun. all of it. So like my, my questions are twofold actually is I have a rifle because I shoot three gun, right? So I would yep. have preferred to do rifle, real rifle and pistol because yep. I didn't have a PCC. So I had to go out and I had to borrow a PCC to shoot two gun nationals. I have to buy one if yep. I want to shoot two gun. And I think it's a little bit, and it's fine, but it's a little bit of a challenge in um, ROing because I'm very good at ROing multi-gun because that's all I do. But there's a lot that can't differentiate where those, the nine mil bullets from the rifle or the pistol or not at all. Yeah. I don't think anyone thought about that at the USPSA two gun until we're like, Hey, what happens if someone does that? And they're like, Ooh, yeah. Uh, um, you know, um, because whatever. Um, so I was going to say, if the three gunner has a shotgun, but they don't have PCC, then how now they've got another barrier to yeah. shoot two gun. So USPSA two gun, uh, number one, I thought it was a great match, not just because I won limited, but because <laughs> I thought it was actually just like, oh, yeah, it was great because I won. If I'd been like fifth, I'd be like, it was trash. Um, but no, it, I thought it was great um, for what it was. And it was clearly um, designed for people who already shot USPSA. That's it. I don't think it was designed really for multi-gunners because they not. don't have PCCs unless they shoot like two by four in UML yep. or they already are a USPSA shooter. Yep. It was a let's do a multi-gun match with things that people in the USPSA already have. And for that, they did an excellent job. Um, but for the multi-gunners, they, they let us down by forcing. I don't them. want to. So I don't want to try to put words in anyone's mouth either. But uh, but here we go. Now. Um, I think that what happened there also was um, USPSA did not run a multi-gun nationals last year. Um, and they were, they, what they were attempting to do was run a two gun match to satisfy the, well, we do multi-gun perception, right? It's not that USPSA wants to get out of multi-gun because they've run a very successful multi-gun match in the past. Um, much like Steel Challenge, the venue changed for, away from Vegas, where it had been for, I don't know, like 10 years or something like that, um, under different match directors, but generally a good match. Like the uh, moving it away from Vegas and introducing a growing three-gun outlaw community to USPSA rules was never really well received by multi-gunners either. Like, I... I don't know if you saw the chamber flags I had in my PCCs, but they're a black flag with black letters. So you have to look hard and it says flags are dumb. <laughs> um, you know, things like chamber flags. Not, I'm personally not a fan and multi-gun in general, like, you know, USPSA is big about it. USPSA has had to adjust to rifles with PCC. And, you know, anyway, USPSA two gun PCC pistol was a let's do multi-gun, but really multi-gun for USPSA shooters that already have this. 
they did a phenomenal job, I think. Um, there's no way around the fact that, like, they're both 9 millimeter. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of scoring hits on targets, right? It was time plus scored, but – and I don't think that that was really the right answer, but it was the only legal answer they had because the USPSA multi-gun rules essentially say that if you're going to do more than one gun, it has to be hit factor. Or, I'm sorry, it has to be time plus. It cannot be hit factor. Yeah. In the USPSA multi-gun rule book, you can run just a rifle match yeah. or just a shotgun match, and it can be hit factor, but not if you're combining with one gun. Reference, you know, when I started shooting three gun, we got there at you know 7 a.m., left at 6 p.m., and we weren't done because it took forever uh, for a lot of reasons. But one of those was, oh, yeah, I need to look at literally every target on the stage for Alpha versus Charlie. Um, yeah. So I don't know why they wouldn't want to do just a rifle and pistol, like an actual 5.56 rifle or literally just a 5.56 rifle match. Mm -hmm. But I guess the board of directors and the USPSA HQ kind of, I'm sure they considered that and had a, some good reason for not doing it. Yeah. Um, in terms of two gun in general, I think there are three types of two gun. If, if we're talking about that, just like, I don't think you can define, uh, multi-gun by any single like there's oh yeah this is this style of multi-gun match there's there's too many every match that's a major match i think in every club is just kind of different where i can't really guarantee what you're going to get when you show up <laughs> yeah if i were to tell you something then you'd show up and it'd be like oh yeah by the way we're the american confederation of zombie shooters or something <laughs> and it's like oh well by the way the only thing that counts are headshots and we're using nothing but birchwood casey like splatter targets or something you know oh. um cool you know that's awesome i'd, I'd shoot that match i just you know that's a, that's a legitimate thing that could happen if you showed up to a local free gun. Um, with two gun, there's three types of matches. There's three gun minus a shotgun, which is kind of which is one way to do two gun. Or literally, like UML has an option for that. If you shoot UML, uh, a club or a match can support a two gun division where you just don't shoot a shotgun. Literally, the same stages don't shoot a shotgun. So you're shooting a lot of optional pistol targets. You know, a lot of shotgun targets shooting with a pistol for a flying clay. They put out a little piece of steel or something different. Um, yeah. There is, then there is USPSA with a rifle uh, or IPSC with a rifle. So um, I would say that USPSA two gun obviously falls into that, even though it was PCC and pistol. It was combining two USPSA matches basically. Um, they did a good job with that. Partial targets. Um, they managed to make a time plus match shoot like a hit back match. They used a lot of the partials, a lot of no shoots and longer static steel. And they did a good job with that. The third type of two gun is one that I don't know if there's not a lot of overlap in the people necessarily, but there is essentially the best way to describe it is the most commonly known as two gun action challenge or like desert brutality, where it is a, for lack of a better term, it's a tactical two gun where it's the state aren't stages the way that we would understand stage. The pinnacle stage for Desert Brutality, for example, is something called the Casarda Drill. This shows up pretty much in every one of them. There's a 60-pound kettlebell. There's a rifle stage. Um, or some variation, like, just shoot some pistol before this, and then you shoot it. You shoot this part, which is a 60-pound kettlebell. You start at 100 yards. You throw the kettlebell, <laughs> and when you get to that kettlebell, you shoot the target, put your rifle down, throw the kettlebell again. Until the kettlebell crosses the 50-yard line. <laughs> um, so it is close to – that's the most probably the most physical stage there, but it is much more 
of a combination of like very, the shooting side of it is more basic. There's not stages as we perceive them where that, yeah, here's the walls, here's the targets, hit factor. It's like, no, do something hard and then shoot a piece of steel. Yeah. You know? um, it's kind of like, I would say 50, 50, maybe 60, 40 shooting and physicality. Um, yeah. And then in, a, in its own separate category is tactical games, which is CrossFit with guns. And that's cool, but that's what it is. Which is what? CrossFit with guns? Is that what you said? It's CrossFit with guns. Um, I've seen it in person. Um, I've, you know, it, and, it, and if that's what you're into, cool. If it doesn't really look all that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it, to be quite honest. Um, but that's not to say it's bad. It looks like, you know, the people there were having a great time uh, going out and getting to do what they love to do, and they were shooting guns. Um, oh. So it's great. But it's, it's also its own category. And Tactical Games is pretty different from, like, Two Gun Action Challenge, Desert Brutality. It's something I get asked about, like, because I've oh, shot. Totally different. Shot, I was a range master for that match. Uh, I haven't shot Tactical Games. And it's like, do I really want to do that? It's like, Can you imagine I would hurt myself? I'd come out with a broken leg. I'd probably be okay. I think, they're, I think they are. Well, probably be okay. I think they encourage you to not do anything that's going to get you hurt. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's I wouldn't register for CrossFit Games because it doesn't look like it'd be you know what I want to do. Um, and <laughs> registering for tactical games is kind of more like yeah. I, oh. If I had a weekend to do that, I would go. Sh- if I had a free weekend, I would do what I did this weekend and go shoot a USPSA match or three gun or two gun. Um, yeah, and have more fun. Way because more. That's fun. what I like to do. So it's what I like to do. For some people, it's way more fun to throw weights around or carry sleds and uh, stuff like that. Not for me. Um, we never covered this before when you were talking about when was the first AK match introduced, kind of to the shooting scene, and then how did you get into like putting on the Red October match? So Red October uh, was the first. Someone might. I'm, I don't think I'm wrong about this, but there, there might have been something before. But Red October was the first AK shooting match that was a popular thing. Yeah, I'm sure that there were local clubs that would say, "Yes, we're going to have a rifle match. Come out and shoot your AK." Um, but the first thing was specifically the whole point of this is a large amount of people will get together and shoot AKs, and we'll figure out who the best is. Was Red October? Yeah. Um, at the time, um, I believe. At the time, basically, SUPS, the club that I shoot at, our fundraising was and still is largely for our local efforts, mm-hmm. fulfilling the missions of our nonprofit, which is to promote practical shooting in Southern Utah. A lot of the fundraising for that came from, yes, this club is going to put a match on in order to fund everything else that we do, uh, buying targets, buying walls, and that keeps the fees lower here. So like a local match here is $20, um, yeah. which is on the low side back then it was even lower, um, but you know, things cost more now. Uh, everything costs more. So we, we lined out this major match schedule. That's where things like, uh, the Barry steel open is a, uh, an outlaw pistol match. It's like the best pistol match. I think that you're going to shoot. It's most fun for sure. Um, it kind of came out of that and, uh, cooperation with one of my sponsors and a local awesome company, Barry's manufacturing, they played pistol bullets and a lot of other shooting products. Um, same, but basically the same idea. Hey, let's plan out major events or semi-major, like regional events that people come to. And uh, the revenue from that enables us to do training for the local community for free. It enables us to keep our costs low for the people in the community to come shoot a local match. Um, and I, I, I had always kind of wanted to do something for, actually, of all things, for like Moses and the Gots, for yeah. you know, garbage rods. Um, 
And a bunch of us had Mosin Nagats, and we talked about like, hey, one day we should just have a little match for all of us to have Mosins, and we'll just shoot all paper and you know do that. And this is kind of the extension of that idea where I said, hey, we have a calendar date in October. You know what would be really cool is if we did a Red October AK event. And initially what I thought it would be would be like, we'll get like 40 or 50 people and, uh, you know, it will have a, have a little thing, you know, it'll be like a day, maybe two days and, and that's it. You know, just simple USPSA-ish stages with, a, with an AK. Um, and so we wrote that. And then at the time we went to SHOT Show looking for uh, match sponsors for prize table and stuff like that. A lot of matches do that. Um, I actually, well, I don't do that anymore because I don't really run as many matches. Um, but anyway, when I, I just talked to a few people about it, they were my friends. Actually, the guys from InRange TV were one of them. Another one was a friend of mine that was on the first squad when 10-year-old Brian Nelson shot IDPA, guy named Ray with him. Uh, and I'm like, hey, man, we're doing this thing in uh, St. George. We're doing a match for, for AKs. And a bunch of people, the, the Carl, Ian, Ray, and, and, and other people, all said, hey, you need to talk to Jim Fuller, who owns Rifle Dynamics, which uh, then and now, if you're into AKs in the U.S., you know Rifle Dynamics makes, you know, at the time it was without doubt, without question, the best AK you could buy. Um, I would say even now they're they're up there, but there's there's been a lot of growth in AKs now. Um, I'm like, well, yeah, I know about Rifle Dynamics. I'm a gun nerd. I know about AKs. I've seen Jim's videos on YouTube, but I don't know the guy, and I don't want to just like, hey, hey, here's this thing, you know, but every single person was like, Oh, well, I know Jim, I'll introduce you. Like, Oh, I didn't know it then, but that's the kind of person that Jim Fuller is. Um, he's just with everybody. He's a super awesome dude. Um, really, really great guy. So we go to rifle dynamics had an open house because they were in Vegas. It's shot show. It's also in Vegas. So they would have an open house. I'm like, yeah, here, we'll go to the open house. I'll introduce you to Jim. Just tell him what you're thinking here. You know, we talk, you know, and, um, so I talked to Jim Fuller a little bit and said, yeah, basically all I really could have possibly asked for from rifle dynamics was uh, essentially, can you make this match legitimate? Like to the AK community, everyone that's into AKs knows that you are the Jim Fuller is the dude and that rifle dynamics makes the best guns. So if you say that this is cool, um, then it, it will immediately become legitimate. And so he thought it was a good idea. There was a little, it was more than just that right there at the open house, but we talked a little bit more about it later and kind of laid out, Hey, what's the vision for this? And essentially the rifle dynamics, the first year was the title sponsor. Our sponsorship agreement was a handshake. And the only thing they provided to the match at that time, I didn't ask for anything. literally don't give me any guns. Don't give me any products. Uh, and at the time, I mean, asking for a gun from rifle dynamics would have been a big deal. Um, it still is a big deal, but you know, that's when it was a, a small shop it was yeah. Jim Fuller and a few other people building, building kick-ass guns um, with like three years of, or more or to get your gun because there was that much demand for them. Yeah. Um, all I, I was like, all I want is, can you make this legitimate? So they were the title sponsor. Hey, this is the rifle dynamics red October collection cup championship. I expected 50 people the first year and 120 registered. Um, so cool. I'm sorry. 120 actually competed. I had to actually more than that register. Um, I didn't know that it was a thing. I knew that AKs were a gun. I thought I knew stuff about AKs, but I did not know that there was legitimately a community of AK people, like shooters and people who built like their 
community and uh, their friend group around shooting AK rifles. It's awesome. I got to ask what, um, how far did like the farthest person, whatever come in for, for that match? Do you know? Uh, I'm actually not sure. Um, but it wasn't like all the first. Yeah. No, it wasn't all local at all. I mean, everybody, most of the people traveled from somewhere. There was Vegas and Salt Lake, SoCal, uh, but we had people from the East coast. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, we had, I know we had some folks from Missouri that were actually, that were three ventures. I knew like, uh, Corinne Mosier came out for the, I think the first year. Um, cool. but I mean, it was immediately like just, just that. And the thing about red October every year is at a typical major match, pick one, pick a sport, pick USPSA, IDPA three, again, it doesn't matter. 90% of the people are very experienced in that game, right? They know how everything works. Mm-hmm. It's inverted at Red October. 90% of the people have not, if they do a match, if they have shot matches, it is generally Red October last year or Kalash Bash or another AK event. So um, that was one of the things that I had to adjust to at Red October. Because the first year I designed it for what I thought were pretty simple, you know, uh, match stuff. And, and it generally was. It wasn't like people were struggling too much with the shooting side of it. But the other part of it was turnaround times and basic etiquette stuff. Um, like specific things, right? So the first time you show up to a match, they tell you you need to help tape, right? <laughs> and that you need to help reset and stuff like that. Okay. But like, I think if we're being realistic and we think back to when we very, very first started in the sport, every single time a shooter, like every time the RO called the range clear, you didn't immediately like rush out with tape the way that we do now. Yeah. Right. Or if you did, it was because everybody went because everybody knew you had to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got a squad where one person, or two to three people have shot a match before and the RO says range is clear. We need to tape, you know, people just kind of are like, okay, yeah, whatever. And they're talking, they don't realize that no, 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 a, this means you B it needs to happen right now. Uh, it's not that they're lazy or bad people just literally did not know. Yeah. They've never, um, yeah. So that was, you know, it, the match always kind of takes a little bit longer than you expect because it's 90% of the people don't really do this on a, on that regular basis. Yeah. And then the other part of it is, um, especially the first couple of years, that also led to friction because, like, you know, what happens if you have, have people on your squad that aren't taping at a USPSA match, especially if it's at a level three USPSA match or a major three gun match, right? Well, it doesn't go well because, you know, you, you kind of like, hey, man, you need to go tape. Hey, you need to stop, you know, being a horrible, terrible human being and an unproductive member of society and, like, go out and tape, right? Well, when you do that to people who've never done this before, they also tend to take offense because some of the people were not as diplomatic as they should have been about it. They just kind of started off by doing what shooters sometimes do, which is they started off by shouting, uh, <laughs> which is not, not necessarily well received. Yeah. So that was the main source of friction that I had the first couple of years between actual competitors and people who were not satisfied, yeah. um, essentially unhappy customers. It was not anything necessarily to do with the math side of it. It was more like, yeah, this guy's yelling at me, and I'm yelling at him. And it's like, yeah, you guys both need to calm down. It's like, hey, he doesn't know what to do here. By the way, hey, you actually, I mean, he is right. You do need to help. It's just, I know you know. First year was about double the size I thought it would be. Um, some of the friends that I had and coworkers, uh, the first year I wanted to run it, uh, it was met with some resistance uh, from like my club. For a couple reasons. The first reason was they didn't think it would be big. I didn't think it would be big either, but um, we essentially said, well, it's like, well, what else are we going to do? 
nothing. So the option is 50 people or nothing. Right. Uh, so they're like, oh, okay, basically. That, that, that was, as I remember it, which might be wrong. I've been hit on the head a couple times since then. But um, Then the other source of, uh, of trepidation that they had was, well, you are insisting the only way you're going to run this match is if you allow bimetal and steel core ammunition. Because, well, I don't know if you've ever looked to try to find no. like 7.62 ammo that won't stick to a magnet. Yeah. There's, there's some options. The other AK caliber is 5.45 by 39 millimeter. You, you, you know what your options are for, for non-magnetic ammo for that? One. It's Hornady. It's like, it was, it was about 40 cents around back then, so it wasn't that bad. Now it's like Hornady Black. Back then, they actually had like 50-round boxes you get in bowl. Now it's like 20-round boxes, and I think it's like, I don't know, like eight, nine bucks a box or something like that. So it's, it's not if you can find it, which is not – it was not a legitimate option. So, well, you can do it, but you can only use paper. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do this with only paper. There's no way that it you – know, it's not it's interesting. Fun. It's not fun. No. And it's not – I mean, and if I want to reproduce this, I'd have to use like clay pigeons at 30 yards. So I have to reset that. And, you know, it's not yeah. going to work. Exactly. Um, so I just said, Hey, we have a bunch of steel. Cause we were open to the public. Then we had a bunch of steel from multi-gun that like, it's just, you know, you shoot anything at 50 yards with five, five, six enough. It's going to get chewed up. I was like, we'll just use the stuff that's already broken. Like, we'll see how that goes. Um, and, and so they said, okay, fine. You can shoot the stuff that's already broken. Like make sure it's at like, you know, 50 yards or farther, like nothing at all. that's closer, you know? Um, and you know, I got approval to do it and I set it up and we used a lot of steel there. And I did actually ask, I believe, yeah, this was the first year of Red October, if I remember correctly. Um, I looked and I had a stage where I had 50 yards and I wanted to activate a target. I had a, um, it's a target called a winger, uh, actually. It's like a swinger, but it has another axle on it. So radio swinger goes like this, this one, the target, it, it goes like that kind of, you know. Yeah. And if you're... If you're just listening to this podcast on Spotify, I'm sorry. You basically imagine a swinger with an extra axle on it. And it, it goes like it swings like on two different axes, basically. And it, it sounds simple, but it's a lot harder, especially when it's at like 30 yards and you're shooting an AK. Um, but to activate that target, I just said, man, I really want to activate this with a pepper bomb. Like we have to reset one target at 50 yards. I just kind of went like, hey, can I destroy one pepper popper? Like, because it's all going to be magnetic like bimetal a lot of especially 545 back then uh a lot of it was 7 and 6 so that that's essentially a steel core 5.45 yeah kind of like ma55 but not really um but it's a solid steel like slug in the core of the bullet like can i destroy one pepper popper i'll replace it like we have a few hundred of them can i please have one to destroy <laughs> at the end of that match this was what was crazy to me um, this is that it looked like we shot a pistol match. It did not look any different. Good. Good. That's what I'm looking at. I'm like, so that was when I realized something right there. And I'd always kind of guessed at this, but the magnet test that we use going back also to, uh, things I'd like to see changed in multi-gun and rifle matches. It is very rare to find ammunition that will actually mess up an AR 500 plate. Like, yeah. Any more so. That will be worse than 55 grain 223. Right. I've shot thousands of rounds and I've witnessed now close to, and this sounds hyperbolic, but it's not. I've witnessed close to a million rounds of green tip being oh. shot. Uh, and 
a lot of it was not all, not a million rounds on steel plates, but like certainly a half a million rounds at AR 500 plates. There is no bullet commonly used that's going to like really mess up an AR 500 steel plate. Yeah. Because I just shot at 50 yards at the minimum safe distance. I just shot 120 rounds, actually more than that, um, from everybody. And this target looks new. Mm-hmm. Velocity and, and actually a couple other mirrored factors um, is really what kills steel. It's not necessarily just velocity, but like green tip specifically, there's other reasons why it's uh, not as bad on steel than M193. Uh, but that's like way essentially if you're shooting M193, right? You buy it, it's 55 grains, let solid lead core copper jacket. Even at a lower velocity, it's going to do more damage to steel plates than green tip is than, than an actual steel penetrator. Um, so it worked out because that steel pit, what's that? I was gonna say, so it worked out where you didn't destroy yeah. multiple pepper poppers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway, that was uh, so. But the first year I said, hey, we're going to use all our junk targets that are already chewed up and, you know, we don't shoot them with pistol anyway because we get a bunch of frag. They're going to be way down there. Like, if I break them, we're not really out anything. Um, so the first year, uh, I, oh, I also did a night shoot. That was the first and last time I did a night shoot in that match because um, uh, I had to throw it out because I was 18 and didn't really know how to do the best possible illumination for them. I had this great idea. I found these click lights at Harbor Freight. They were emergency red LED lights. They were like eight bucks each or something like that. And I just, oh, cool. I put them at the base of all the targets. And, you know, I had spares. I didn't know that much. Like, yeah, yeah, it's good. They're going to break. They're from China. They're going to get shot, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I lit up some targets. We put some flashing red and blue like police lights out. We got burn barrels. It looked really cool. Um, but by the end of that night stage, you couldn't actually see the targets. And it was all steel at like 50 yards. Um, which also looked really cool when you shot him with uh, steel core and bimetal ammo because it sparks like a lot. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, that, that first match was uh, was a pretty pretty big success and it's been growing. We run it for five years now. Uh, the last match we just finished up a couple weeks ago uh, was the biggest one that we've had yet. Three hundred and twenty four competitors in a in a two day match with a two day early squad. That's cool. So we had like seventy people in the uh in the early friday and, or thursday and friday schedule and then another 200 some in the saturday and sunday that's awesome um yep. neat well yeah people need to go shoot that that's on my list for for one year as soon as i get an ak um oh i know we're coming towards the end of this but i really want to ask how did you make like the terran tactical protein like how did you get hooked up with the sponsors that you have i mean you obviously started young but i want to know like how that process came about it's pretty cool um i was pretty fortunate so the first sponsor that i had was berries manufacturing they're local and i think i was 14 um and actually one of the guys that uh the actually the person that set up sponsorship at berries uh forever was a guy named jay phillips uh he left berries a few years ago started another company you're probably familiar you're with if you're not um just check them out voodoo gunworks yeah um and I wanted to one day. So yeah, it's I, it, I have one. It is amazing. It's an incredible gun. Uh, it is. I think it is uh, the most accurate twenty-two repeater that you're going to find. In addition to all the cool stuff about it, it takes a seven. It's a seven hundred foot print, so it goes in all the chassis. And yep. but anyway, um, I actually get to work with him now on a daily basis. So he left Barry's, uh, uh, was a co-founder of Voodoo, and then uh, left Voodoo, and now he works for us at Scoring Tech. So he's a uh, I get to work with him every day. And, it, you know, one of the first things I ever did in the gun industry was Jay Phillips thought that, 
you know, 14 year old Brian Nelson, we should probably give him some bullets uh, way back then. Um, and then it was just meeting people really. Um, so with Taryn, I'd shot with Taryn um, and just kind of knew him. Uh, I'd done, I, I don't remember if I'd ever actually been to the range of TTI at that point, but I shot with him, squatted with him, uh, like went to a movie with him or something. If you squat with Taryn, like you'll go to a movie at some point with him. Because um, he's about that. Like he trains movie stars. He's really yeah. into film. It's cool. Uh, but uh, so with TTI, actually it started off with, I, I shot a match. I was shooting a Remington Versamax at the time. Um, and I shot the Western regional we had here in 2014, I believe, from Three Gun Nation. The gun basically broke bad because it was Remington. Remington, for most of my lifetime, has made guns out of canola oil, compressed into gun part shapes, kind of like Kraft American cheese. Um, and it fell apart and eventually just broke. Um, hopefully they get better with new uh, ownership and all that stuff. But, you know, anyway... Literally at that match, I was shooting uh, Superstition the next, like in a week and a half after that. I'm like, this shotgun's not repairable. It's just gone. I don't have any, you know, there's, what I did was basically call them like, hey man, I need a shotgun. Um, I, I'll i buy a shotgun. I was ready to buy another shotgun anyway, but, you know, I don't want to buy another one of these because it broke and I don't think another one's going to be better. Is there any way that I could buy an M2 and have it in time for superstition he goes yes by the way i'm going to charge you essentially what the m2 costs us and the base gun and then so sent me a tti m2 for the cost of you know essentially what an m2 benelli factory gun cost a little bit less than that because they had a good relationship with benelli at the time they were actually buying the dealer cost yeah which if you know benelli as a gun shop if you're trying to buy benelli you have to buy a lot to get a dealer price. You can't get them through distributors. Um, so anyway, that was the start of that relationship. And I went and I was, uh, for, or I was second overall and second in tack ops. And I was literally, I think it was like a 10th of a percent off of being first behind Mills Johnson shooting the same gun. Um, it was like, you know, and I shot the gun. Great. Um, it was also properly cut out for quad loading. Unlike what I had done with my Versamax and tried to do for the first time in a match it, that's for regional, and I did not accomplish that. Yeah, I was able to actually quad load at Superstition with a proper gun that was set up for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, gun ran great. I always just kind of had a relationship with Taryn. Uh, and so at, at one point, eventually, he just asked, hey, would you like to be a member of the TTI Pro Team a while back? This was like 2016 or 15. Um, and that was the first time I won a match overall in three-gun, maybe. Uh, a major match. I won a three-gun nation I think it was a Southeastern regional. It was a universal shooting academy in, in Florida uh, with the blue jersey. It's kind of one of those things that we, we joke about back then, uh, back when we had the blue jerseys. The first time you put the blue jersey on, like you win the next major match. That you win. It's just, you know, because like three or four people did that exact same thing. Um, but that's how that relationship started. Almost all the relationships I built for sponsorship in, uh, in shooting sports were people that I met and shot with. Um, yeah. And like, so Taryn Tactical is an example of that. Um, and actually one of them was uh, with Proof Research. Another one of my uh, uh, sponsors was, um, I RO'd with the person that ended up setting up Proof Research's pro shooting team uh, right. very shortly thereafter. He was a PRS shooter and three gun shooter that uh, a guy named Chris Giddings, super good dude. 
Um, and he was the CRO with me at the Crimson Trace Midnight Three Gun. That's cool. Um, Crimson Trace was the same thing. I was on a Crimson Trace had a pro shooting team uh, for a little while back twenty like twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen I think it was. Yeah. Uh, so just a couple of years. And that was and they asked a guy named Chuck Anderson. He was the Area One director for a while for USPSA. Um, and he shot the Regan. We shot with him in the Iron Man. Uh, he been to the MGM junior camps and helped out there. Um, you know, Hey, can you put together a pro shooting team? And so he asked myself, a guy named John Browning, who's on the AMU now, he was at the time he was in Marine Corps. Um, super good dude. Also Nick Atkinson, who, uh, I don't know if he shoots any matches anymore, but he's a great shooter. And then myself, that was a Chuck, uh, John, uh, Nick, and then myself protein because I shot with Chuck Anderson a little bit, you know, um, and then, uh, yeah, so loophole, same thing. I was sponsored by loophole for a while. And uh, that that was basically asked the person that I shot with, hey, I'm, you know, again, like 14-year-old Brian Nelson, um, hey, you know, I'd really, I think I'm going to buy a loophole scope and I'm saving up to buy a loophole scope. But, you know, I think it'd be really, I'd be honored to shoot, you know, have a loophole logo on my jersey and use a loophole scope if that's something that you're interested in. So that that worked out. Um, What's the coolest so, thing? Yeah, like ever done in the industry i gotta know so one of the coolest things I, the coolest thing i've ever done in the industry i'm that's a tough one because i've done a lot of cool things uh, i've been very lucky but the most satisfying and cool thing i think i've done has been the stuff that i've uh the training i provided for military units and uh for military units in general and and for some of the law enforcement agencies that's that's been lately. Uh, so my day job now is providing scoring for those same agencies. And it's literally actually the coolest thing. If you were to think of it, it like impact and what, what it means for the future of the industry is exactly what I'm doing now where I'm taking uh, a scoring software and I'm enabling the United States Marine Corps to use hit factor scoring for companies of Marines. Like, Basically, every time a company of Marines goes to the range, that's a major USPSA or three gun match. Like, so what we're going to do with School of Infantry next week is helping to score a hit factor based standard and help with their training on a hit factor based standard, just supporting with timers and uh, some of the stuff we're doing uh, for 240 people. Uh, and essentially, now if you're a Marine going through the School of Infantry, either on the West Coast or the East Coast, in the pilot program for the Infantry Marine Corps, so new training procedures at school of infantry, you are going to be measured on marksmanship using a hit factor standard. Um, it's the first time that's ever been done at scale in the military. Um, so that's yeah, honestly not even necessarily training. I also have done training for the school of infantry combat instructors, uh, helping with the Marine Corps program. But, um, yeah, coolest thing was literally watching, Dozens of SOI, School of Infantry, combat instructors uh, scoring with an electronic tablet using an acoustic shot timer, like an AMG Bluetooth shot timer, and scoring a bunch of new Marine Corps privates uh, on drills that are essentially, you know, based on speed and accuracy. Yeah. That, that like, watching that happen and then doing this like you would do for practice course, syncing the tablets together and having all the scores for them, like... It, it was really satisfying. That's, yeah. that's probably, it doesn't sound like much. It's not like, 
it's not like I'm hanging on the side of a helicopter shooting machine gun or anything. Um, but that was probably one of the coolest things I've, I've seen. I think it's huge because if you think about that, that's, that's leaving a legacy for what you've done or the sport and then they can take it and, you know, keep going. That's a big deal in, in our industry. So people that are listening to this that shoot, they get that. That's a, that's a big deal. So yeah, it's probably the coolest thing I've done. Um, Have you met yeah, like I got to shoot a, uh, uh, other than that, I got to shoot a Sturmgewehr under night vision in a, on a, on a stage at Red October. That was also pretty cool. You're just a kid. Just it's like, just because it's like, yeah, I'm shooting an SGG 44, like the world's first real assault rifle under <laughs> night vision. I can't see anything, but still cool. um, on a stage. That's also pretty cool. That's awesome. Have you met any like famous actors or anything like when you're at the TTI range or anything like that? Um, not that I'm allowed to talk about. There was okay, one that uh, I wasn't really supposed to meet. We were under a, uh, it was weird there, but it, it, anyway, cool guy. Um, for training, I've worked with some TV actors and some producers and stuff. Um, that's been nice too. You know, it's it's it is actually like all the people that I've met at TTI in terms of training for um, non-gun industry people. I don't do it a lot. It's just when you're there, if you know how to teach, training, like, hey, can you help with this class? Because I actually have like 18 things to do, and I'd love to teach these people, but I also have, this makes it so I only have to do 17 things right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cool. Um, they've all been fantastic to work with, actually. Just nice people. So that's neat. Um, one of my last questions too I want to ask is going back to like the sponsors that, that support our shooting sports, what are some things that us shooters um and people that really support the Second Amendment can do better to help the sponsors that give back to us? Um that's a good question. So in terms of helping, um one is it's not against the law to actually just give them money and, and buy things rather than rely on uh, winning it off a prize table or asking for a discount. Um, in addition to which, um, say thank you to a sponsor, uh, of course. And, but even beyond that, like try to be helpful to a sponsor in terms of um, making the best thing you can do. If you want to be involved in shooting sports or the shooting industry, you want to make all of the dollars as a uh, as a shooting industry company. Solve the problem in the best way possible. That's the best way to succeed. Uh, there are many companies that uh, that do that and sponsor matches. And unfortunately, there are also uh, sponsors in the shooting sports that do a lot of sponsorship, but I wouldn't use what they make. Yeah. Um, the, the best thing that you can do when I talk to a sponsor at a match, if there's a vendor there or something like that um, is, you know, I appreciate that you donated to the match and helped to make it happen. And, and I, what, what sponsorship is, is a recognition for the most part, because I sponsored matches as, uh, as for scoring tech. And then before that, when I worked for tactical performance center, we would give certificates to matches because we think that competitive shooting is good. Yeah. Um, and that's about it. It, the return on investment is not something I think you can really necessarily quantify for sponsorship. For us, it was a little bit different because we're giving away a certificate to a training class that's going to happen either way. Um, so if I have one person on a certificate in a training class that's there for free, well, unless it tilts the balance of how many instructors I needed to have at a class, it really didn't cost us actually anything. Um, not, I mean, functionally nothing. I needed to, I need to give them like what? 
30 more eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper. That's like $2 or something. Um, uh, the instructors are already going to be there. We're already going to be doing the class. Yeah. Um, I'll do it in terms of support, but it's because I believe, you know, as a sponsor, I believe in what's happening. Um, that's exactly it. So just say thanks and that you appreciate it. That's all that we, that's what we really wanted at TPC is, you know, we think that this is worth supporting. Therefore, yeah, we'll just put this out here. We think it's good marketing because, you know, it doesn't really functionally cost us anything. It still provides a massive amount of value. It's not like I'm giving, you know, a $500 gift certificate towards a $3,500 gun, um, which is another thing I've seen. Um, one particular, no longer sponsor of anything uh, used to do that. Um, but, you know, that's all that we were really, you know, in it for. Yeah, it was good marketing kind of for us because it didn't cost us anything. It provided value for shooter. Uh, but the main reason we did it was because we actually believed in competitive shooting and something that we just wanted to be supportive of. So, you know, whether that came with a slot into the match, whether they came with banner placement, that was all great, but we were just happy to be involved with it. Um, yeah. So, and, and I don't know if that's most sponsors. I kind of think that in the, in the sponsors that I know that I've talked to, uh, like my personal sponsors, when they sponsor an event, um, that's generally what they're looking at as well as to whether or not they're going to sponsor it again. It's whether or not they're still satisfied with competitive shooting. And it's not necessarily that they're making dollars out of it. It's usually other than major, major corporations. It's not just a like dollars and cents. Hey, we don't think this is you know worth doing anymore. Cross it off the list. It's, you know, the individual people behind that company that make it because a lot of these companies, just like the ones you and I work with are not major corporations. It's a person. That's, that's in charge of that, or a couple or three people. Yep. Um, and they're making that decision because they believe in what you're doing. So simply uh, enjoy the match, be a good competitor, and then say, just save banks. And then beyond which, if you actually have something that's productive to offer, you know, help. Like I've helped with product redesign stuff just because it's like, hey, I saw this, I really like this, but this could be different in this way. And that would be, you know, kind of more what we're looking for. Right. That's cool. So, good words. Uh, so what's, what's next? Oh, go ahead. Oh, and, and unfortunately, I will say I'm not the best person to ask about uh, the sponsor relationship stuff either. I should have probably led with that. <laughs> like it. Um, yeah, one of my final questions here, and then uh, you can leave your final thoughts, is what's next for Brian Nelson? Uh, so I am going to try uh, and shoot more competitively next year. We're in a, at work right now with Scoring Tech. We're in a phase where we're very busy. I've, I've been back and forth to the East Coast now. I drove four times. I'm going back and flying a fifth time this year. Um, so what's next? I'm going to continue. Like My day job is actually very, very cool. Um, but as things hopefully get more calm, I'm going to try to shoot more matches, and that's going to be a focus primarily on rifle. Um, whatever I can. So that's things like I wish we just had rifle masters in the U.S. There's going to be a couple that I know of. I don't know if they want me to announce those yet, but um, <laughs> one of the one of the things for me that was very dissatisfying in uh, my shooting sports adventures was shooting a rifle world shoot in. Well, actually, both of the times I've been to rifle world shoot, uh, I went the, for the first one in Russia in 2017, which was awesome in terms of an experience. Like I was 19 or 20 years old or something like that going to Russia with two AR-15s is like, okay, this is not something I think most people would have thought would have happened in, you know, the world. Um, 
but I didn't shoot. I, I, that's where I learned that it was hard. Like it, a stick rifle is hard it, compared to what we do. Um, and it's hard because it is exactly in the middle of what three gun is. Three gun is either really hard because we're shooting eight inch targets at, you know, 400 yards. Uh, and it's basically like a light PRS type match with unlimited bullets, or it's a big piece of paper out to like 20 yards because nobody wants to walk further than that to yeah. tape it. And we don't use a lot of no shoots. We don't make it very technical. Ipsic Rifle World Shoot 2017 was exactly in the middle. Like the closest target was maybe 20 yards. It had a bunch of no shoots on it. There was no place to shoot on the move. It was very fine position, stick that position, minor power factor, really low hit factor stages. Um, therefore, accuracy mattered a lot. Um, and then I went to Sweden in 2019. Again, also really awesome uh, experience. And I thought that I had learned a lot uh, since 2017. 2017, I went and didn't, didn't do as well as I had anticipated I would. Um, still not bad. It was like 80% or something, which you know, yeah. I'm not unhappy with. And then thought that I'd learned a lot about shooting, about rifles, about you know technique in Sweden, and went kind of shot iffy and had to take my gun apart on the stage. Because uh, it jammed that bad. Like, I'm cracking the gun shotgun style, like, pulling, yeah. fucking with a trigger that went bad. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm literally taking a sear spring and detent for an AR gold trigger and yeah. putting it back into the housing and then fixing the disconnect. It's something that apparently they actually fixed but I didn't know about in that particular trigger. And it may have been some weird adjustment uh, that I wasn't aware of. Fun. Anyway, that was that was dissatisfying. So a lot of what I've done in the last couple of years since then has been technically uh, getting better at rifle shooting. That's fundamentals. Like, yeah, I, I shoot bullseye targets offhand at 100 yards from my three-gun stance now. You know, better at understanding zeroing a gun. So the next thing I'd like to do is actually, you know, the last couple of years have been very heavy on getting more technically proficient and sound with rifle shooting in the same way that someone would do with pistol shooting from PSA. It's not something that really existed here for many people in three and like, and the ones who would, who did do it would be people like Daniel Horner and Jerry Michalek and uh, Greg Jordan, you know, Bruce Pyatt um, and a, a few others. But for the most part, it wasn't something, it's not something you can read about either. There's not a lot of guidance in that regard, unfortunately. Um, so what I like, what's next for Brian Nelson in, in terms of competitive shooting is hopefully a lot more like that. And, uh, and I'm very frustrated with IPSC because they haven't scheduled another rifle world shoot at all. Um, I know. And they've scheduled a pistol and shotgun world shoot, and they keep pushing it back because of coronavirus stuff, um, which is, you know, so I, I hope I get to shoot a rifle world shoot before I'm 30. Um, <laughs> we may or may not be able to. Uh, if I can, what I'm going to try to do, I've got a little plan going with some, some other great dudes, uh, some of the guys from the, from the last world shoot team, and some friends that haven't shot Ipsic yet. Uh, we're going to try to go this summer to shoot a, uh, a major IPSC rifle match in uh, Scandinavia somewhere. Cool. Uh, or in the Baltics. We were, we're talking a little bit about Estonia, but I don't know what the COVID restriction is going to be like or, uh, uh, or Finland, someplace like that, which is also, you know, it's also a cool place to travel. Yeah. Hell yeah. This is awesome. Shooting sports can take you in all different places. So I love it. Um, any final thoughts you want to leave people with? Um, in terms of final thoughts, man, there's, there's not a lot of substitute for, um, going out, practicing and training and actually spending ammo. Um, so dry fire is great and you should do it. Um, what I've seen is a lot of people find, trying to find a better solution for, 
uh, dry fire with airsoft with laser and stuff like that. Those are all great. But when it comes to learning how to shoot, there are very few substitutions for going out and doing a fundamentals heavy, uh, 200 round range session. Just very hard to do right now. I get that, but, um, yeah, don't be afraid to go out and shoot. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And, uh, if you haven't gone out to compete in a match, don't be afraid to go out and do that either. Um, there's no substitute for going out and getting better shooting. There's no substitute for going out and actually getting to shoot a match. If you haven't done that yet, you're not going to be ready. Accept that. Go out and do it. It doesn't matter. Nobody was ready for their first one. It's kind of impossible to explain to someone who's never done it, you know, how, how shooting something as simple as a USPSA or IDPA match works. Um, if you have all the stuff to go out and do it, find the place, find the time to be there, go and do it. If you don't have all the stuff to go out and do it, like a three-gun match especially, you probably don't. Uh, don't buy it. Ask someone if you can go do it. Uh, if you can borrow some gear, give them ammo, buy them lunch, and go out and do it. If you've ever wanted to, there's no substitute for going out to do it. Love that. I like that. That's 100% accurate. If you're not ready until you've already shot a match. <laughs> yep. You're never going to be ready for the first one. And if you read, and if you read about it, even in, even in really good sources, if you listen to, you know, like, good like reticle up podcast about it if you're reading uh the uspsa magazine if you're reading american handgunner or guns and ammo about uspsa there's you're still just not quite going to get it don't buy don't buy anything don't expect that you know what's going on go up go out be humble be nice shooters are some of the most welcoming and friendly people that you meet um go out and do it yeah exactly that love it well brian how can people follow you on social media and do you have your own like website for training or anything like that Uh, i do so i don't really do much uh kind of the same reason i haven't shot a lot of matches Uh, i don't really do a lot of training uh outside of stuff that i actually get committed to for work um but if you're looking for me uh the best place to keep up with uh my thoughts on shooting whether you whether whether they're smart or not they're going to be on my instagram page it's just uh Brian Nelson, practical shooter with a lot of underscores in between each word. Cause I was bad at picking a username. Uh, and then I do have a website uh, that has some resources on there. Uh, I do have a blog that's not really used. I like to use that a little bit more, but uh, uh, I have target resources also. So if you want to print out practice targets, there's some stuff that I use there. Uh, you print out on eight and a half by 11 paper. It's good for taking to the range. That's briannelsonshooter.com. Uh, and if you're looking for good training, uh, it's, I don't work there. I'm not probably not going to be teaching a class, but if you're, if you're looking for good training, uh, my, my old place of work, uh, tactical performance center, uh, a really awesome dude named Rawson Kristoff runs that company. Um, he's the director of training and the, and the owner of it now. Um, that's some of the best pistol training you're going to get is a, uh, handgun mastery course from tactical performance center. So if you're looking for training and things like that, that's where I recommend you go. There's a lot of good instructors out there. Also, a lot of them are friends of mine. Um, but that's uh, the other uh, place I would recommend to get trained. Love it. Yeah. And just move to Utah. If you're listening to this, if you want to shoot because that's the hotbed. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's a, uh, it's there's, that's another thing. Um, there's very thing. few places that I can think of off the top of my head uh, that you can shoot at that are as good as St. George, Utah. Now, if, if you're moving in and you're going to shoot, that's cool. Uh, we are tired of people from California and uh, <laughs> New York for us. Yeah. Crazy places coming in here and, uh, and uh, clogging up our traffic. And, uh, so, but if you're going to shoot, it's okay. If you're not, if you ain't going to go out and, and shoot guns and matches, then, uh, you can stay where you are. 
that's fine. Um, access to a range is huge though. Like that's another, if actually, if you're going to track it back to um, what great shooters had for the most part was a place where they could go shoot. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it's also people to shoot against, but it's a place where you can easily go and shoot. Like yep. that's, that's actually something that I, probably the biggest thing that shooting sports could work to improve overall is access to a place to shoot and do what we do to run a match, but then also for people to get good at it. Cause at least in USPSA, there's a little bit of a charter to like, it's not just for people to go out and shoot because it's fun. There's, you know, the implication that people should be doing this, trying to get better. Yep. Yeah. Hard to get better if you only ever shoot a match and don't have a place to practice. Yeah. It sucks. I'm in the boat trying to find property, but you're yeah. a hundred. So out here, at least, well, we have an awesome range, but a lot of the West, at least you can go out in the desert, but you know, that's East true. coast, that's a little bit less. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Brian, thank you for joining. Yeah. Um, I, this has been a blast and I'm excited to see you somewhere. I'm sure in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure are you going to come out to, uh, what's that? Will you be at yeah. Shacho? I will be at Shacho. Yeah. If I'm not at Shacho itself, if they decide to be silly about COVID requirements and masking and stuff, I won't go into the show, yeah. but it's like a 90 minutes drive. I'll be there. You know, so yeah. Probably the best part of SHOT Show is not on the show floor. The best part of SHOT Show is all your friends being together in Vegas. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I hope that they run a match afterwards. They usually do run one at uh, Pro Gun Club uh, for either a USSL or a USPSA match. That's you. That's really the highlight of SHOT Show. Is yeah. Especially if you don't go to the show. If you just go to the match, you're going to beat everybody because they're all tired from being on the show. That's <laughs> so true. <laughs> yep. Love it. All right. Thanks again. I'll be there. And then, uh, yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. My pleasure. It's Thanks been for awesome. having me. No, that's all right. <laughs> Got internet lag problems. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening to the Reticle Up podcast and stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Reticle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.